Good morning, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. How is how is everybody? I'm all right. Shabbat shalom. Doctor P and everybody else. Good morning, Doug. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, keep in mind when if you guys want to talk, you know, you can simply press the space bar to unmute, and press and and just press the space bar again to mute. It's a very easy way to do it. Okay. And Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. How are you? It makes it easy, doesn't it? Hi, Marcus. How are you? All right. Good. Good to see you. Oh, all right. Go ahead. Good to see everybody this morning. It's a uh, it's another Shabbat. interesting Shabbat. Oh, also keep in mind too that the, the meeting is an ongoing invitation. So the invitation you had from last week would be the same invitation for next week and for this week. And I will try to be here for all of them. If I'm not, I will send you a message saying I'm not going to be here because I'm trapped in some deep wooded environment next to some blowing up volcano here in the Alaskan woods, <laughs> which is all possible, right? Looks nice and sunny there, though. It is. Today is a beautiful day. You know, we've had... Uh, it's been a long winter, but we're now um, expecting 60 degrees this weekend. And uh, so we're in a strategic melt off. And it's such a crazy environment. It's so extreme up here. You know, it goes from this to that very, very quickly. And uh, now we're coming into a completely different ecosystem, if you will. And uh, this one is going to be, um, I think it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting. This year is going to be very interesting. And we have a very acute Shabbat uh, fellowship that meets on Friday evenings here. Uh, and it's a wonderful group of people. And we had, you know, we've had some very intense discussions. We're going to try not to keep it too intense today because today is Shabbat. It is a day of rest and it is a day of praising Yahweh, right? We remember his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Is there scheduled meetings on Thursdays? I've heard other folks mentioned that they had calls on Thursdays. Is, is that something special or something different? Josh, good to hear from you today, man. Good to see you. Thank uh, you. Shabbat actually, alone. Thursday nights, we do a, we do a, I do a show with uh, Jessica Arianas called uh, Crossing Over. And it, that's a pretty long show. It's about two and a half hours usually. And it's a very in-depth show. So you can join that on YouTube. I think you can join it on Facebook too. I'm not sure exactly how you join that, but you can sign up for it and then you can participate live in that show. And uh, there's a kind of a robust chat room there that goes on. <laughs> Not as robust as the one we have here because uh, you know we have all the, we've got the uh, essence here over in this group. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't mean to be an elitist in any respect, but, uh, but you know, it is, uh, 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 that is, it, it's not really, a, it's not a Zoom meeting. It's a live YouTube show, that's what it is. 
live face live on Facebook, live on YouTube. And I don't know if there's other platforms, but it's called Crossing Over with Jessica. And if you look that up, you'll find it, and then you can join it. And uh, we had this last week. Well, but but before we get going, let's begin here with the morning prayer, if we can. Okay, because I know that there are many of us here, even though uh, we're capable of putting a smile on our face, that there are things going on in our life that do not necessarily bring a smile. And uh, we need to pray for those things now. And we need to know that we have a Yah who hears and listens, and a Yah who speaks, and a Yah who knows, and he knows. And let's petition him now. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We lift up our voices to you in unison. Singing out the name of Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the one we look to in all things. It is written that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We cling to that now. We cling to the robes of Yahshua HaMashiach and the blood that was shed. We call out these names to you, Father, in anticipation that your ear will hear our prayer even this morning. That you will hear our prayer even this morning. And we lift our petitions to you now. We lift the petitions of people who call on you and say, you are our Heavenly Father. You are our Elohim. We are your children. We are your people. We are the people of your calling. We are the people that you have chosen, the people that you have set apart to say, Yahuwah Sebaot. And you have called us into your covenant. And Father, we just pray that you would reveal your covenant to us. With great specificity, you would pour it into our hearts, minds, and souls. That we would know it. We pray that we would walk in accord with your covenant, that we would walk with integrity. We would walk with strength. We would walk with purpose. We would walk with ability. We would walk with endurance. Because you have called us to these things, and you have called us to seek wisdom, to seek the knowledge of you, to seek understanding. And in all these things, we know that you bless us with your grace and your mercy as it pours out upon us even now. Father, we pray for your protection now. We pray for your understanding. And but most importantly, we pray that your will would be done in us on this earth. And that the things that you intend to loosen on this earth be loosened. And the things you intend to bind on this earth be bound. We lift up these things, Father, knowing that you see the wicked before you. And we pray like those of the souls who have gone before us. How long, O Yahweh, how long before your justice comes to the earth? May it come even now. And we pray, Maranatha, Father, that Yahusha come, be our king on this earth. So we lift this to you now in the name of Yahusha, with expectation that Ruach HaKodesh would be with us in all things, even this morning, and that you would invade this meeting with your Ruach, invade this meeting, we encourage you to be here, oh, Yahweh, say, Lord, in your Ruach HaKodesh. We encourage you to be here. We lift this in the name of Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. All right. So let's begin this morning. You know, you know where I want to begin this morning? I want to begin with Psalm 91, right? Psalm 91 is... A very important psalm for many of us, particularly in these times of trouble. And I think we need to take a look at it. And I'm going to pull up my big book. One printed in Britain. It's a beautiful book. And uh, so it begins this way. Let's read it. 
He that dwells in the secret place of El Elyon shall abide under the shadow of El Shaddai. I will say of Yahweh, he is my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made a Yahweh, which is my refuge, even El Elyon, your habitation, there shall no evil befall you. Neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. For he shall give angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shall you trample under feet because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my Yeshua. Amen. So much, uh, Victor. Did were you going to say something, Victor? I was going to let you know there's still people in the uh, waiting room. Waiting room to uh, join in. Okay, I think we just we're getting just about everybody here. Good morning. Yes. Yeah. Good morning. Shalom. Good to see everybody. Yeah. Glad to see everyone too. Okay, yeah, we've got uh, we've got a wee bit of a dog fight going on down here. <laughs> you know, you know, dogs are they, they tend to be a bit vocal. But um, at any rate, so I'm going to keep an eye on the admission list as, as best I can. If if anybody sees anybody here, just let me know, okay? And uh, and then let's talk about let's talk about some of the circumstances today as we talk about Shabbat. You know, we did the show on Thursday night, uh, Behold a Black Horse. And there were uh, a number of people that was, it was a very interesting day in the, in the Ruach HaKodesh because there were a number of people who were corroborating uh, similar, uh, similar understanding as to what was happening. You're seeing a revealing of Yah's justice on the earth and uh, this justice that comes on the earth. And then the question becomes, when you see this justice, a lot of people look at America and they say, we know there is a lot wrong here. There is a lot wrong here. And what can we do to make it right? And we've kind of, I've kind of had a rolling discussion going on about this for really uh, uh, about four or five months now, that we had a real change up in the United States. We had a change in our spiritual center that followed 9-11. Um, 9-11 was a threshold event. Many people who lived in the East Coast, you know, who lived in the New York City area, 
for them, it was, you know, uh, an unbelievable tragedy. I mean, you know, it was just a, a destruction that was absolutely unanticipated and uh, racked their very souls in watching the World Trade Centers collapse. We know now that uh, this destruction was intended, you know, wasn't an accident. And the, and the people who initiated the terrorism against the United States have never been brought to justice. And there have been continued acts of terrorism against the United States where the perpetrators have been able to get a completely free hand, whether it's shooting up a movie theater or shooting up a nightclub or shooting up a school. And Americans have sat back and knowing the narrative was false, continued to allow it to go on one time after another after another. I've been privy to the intel on most of the of what happened in those. And people who speak out against uh, the intelligence operatives that did those things lose their lives or are completely destroyed in the public square. So you can't really mention it. And so we've had this doctrine of falsehood that has overtaken in the nation. And it's very interesting because when we think back, and I think we're all old enough here to remember 1999 and to remember the year 2000. Uh, you know, those were different years and a different perspective and a different place. You know, it was very common, for instance, for big Christian crusades to break out. You know, it was promise keepers or something like this. Or, and you would have thousands of people meeting in sports arenas. And, you, and our missionary work as a nation was huge. In fact, in the year 2000, private funding from Americans exceeded all other national funding in terms of the amount of money that was going into the third world to promote the gospel, that this was just the truth. And as we all know, you don't begin counting with zero, right? You begin counting with one. So the 20th century ended in the year 2000. The 21st century began in the year 2001. And when we get to 9-11, we have this threshold event that launched us into a period of warfare that has been continuous now. The war that was started following 9-11 is continuing to go on. We're still occupying Iraq. We're still fighting in Afghanistan. And the, the iniquity that was born of that lie now has infested the entire nation. So when, now when you look at the what is the fruit of the tree of the United States since 9-11-2001, quite frankly, it's been horrific. I mean, we have exported major abominations to the world and we have done abominable things and the discussion last night you know where there, there was at one point uh, there was a recording that was brought up that was attempted to be played and the recording of course was so offensive about the truth of things uh, among our leadership that some of the people in the group didn't want to hear it, it was like don't I, I don't have any space to even listen to that i don't want to know about it i don't want to hear it but yet we know that this iniquity is present. And in fact, because of what it says in Daniel 12, that knowledge will increase and that people will be going to and fro throughout the earth. We see that now we've arrived at this time. In fact, in the year 2021, knowledge and information is increasing. It's doubling every 10 hours, doubling every 10 hours. So any information that is out there is, being, is getting airtime. And so you can't really hide anything because the information just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And so the, a lot of the things that were being done by leadership that were really quite evil 
are now being exposed and most people know what that evil is and what they do. Now, this is not a, a totally uncommon occurrence. You know, there is a precedent for where we are in this nation. And it's a precedent that belongs to uh, an empire called Carthage, the Carthaginian Empire, okay? The Carthaginian Empire. Now, in Carthage, you had, uh, you had something very interesting because Carthage, you know, which was formed in what is now modern-day Tunisia, that's where the city of Carthage was. But the Carthaginian Empire stretched out quite large, and, and it, it stretched out into Libya and stretched out into Morocco. And it actually was, it's believed to have been, the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. That is to say, this is where all the crops were grown, this is where all the food was, was produced, and then these crops were all sold into the Roman Empire. Well, the people who inhabited this Carthaginian empire were people who had left Israel and who had left the Northern kingdom called Jezreel. They call it Jezreel in the English, but it's Israel, Israel, and the Southern kingdom, Judea. Because when you saw when the, when the Assyrians rose against the Northern kingdom, there was an initial incursion against Manasseh, Reuben, and, and Gad, who were to the east of the Jordan River. And when that happened, the countries to the west of the, the, the tribes to the western, to the west of the Jordan, perceived it as, okay, our days are numbered. And many of them who were engaged in seafaring trade, right? The seafaring trade began with the tribes of Israel as soon as the tribes of Israel arrived in the land. Dan was engaged in seafaring trade virtually immediately. I mean, there's evidence of tin trade coming out of uh, Ireland and Wales as early as 1500 BC. So, I mean, you're talking immediately upon the end of the Exodus. In fact, there was actually sea trade going on before the Exodus because you had brass and, uh, you had brass and uh, bronze being made in Egypt. That's clear, it's stated in Exodus and Moses even made a serpent out of brass, which requires tin and copper and that tin and copper did not originate in Egypt. It originated in North America and in the United Kingdom. And so with this traffic, what was taking place was that the House of Israel was migrating. The House of Israel had two places of migration that were really kind of hard and heavy. One was into Carthage, into Tunisia and Libya. And the other one was into Spain. Those were, pretty, those were very dominant places for migration. And so the Carthaginian Empire was primarily the House of Israel. So we're talking about you're talking about uh, the tribe of Asher, Zebulun, Issachar, uh, Dan, Ephraim, uh, even some Manasseh. Uh, those were going to be basically the tribes that were going to be living there. Now, this group has a history, as you can read in the Old Testament, of falling away from Yahweh, falling away from his covenant, seeking after other gods, and some of those gods... One of them that always keeps rearing his head is Molech. And so you see over and over again, you shall not pass your children through the fire to Molech, right? I think there's nine scriptures that talk about this, nine instructions. Do not pass your children through the fire to Molech. And yet, Yasharel, the tribes of Yasharel, have almost always been an infant sacrificing society. Almost always. 
And you see Isaiah, Yeshayahu talking about this. You see Jeremiah talking about this. You see Amos talking about this, denouncing it. It's listed in the book of Kings. It's listed in Chronicles. It's listed even by Moshe. And so what happened in Carthage, you know, you, you still have the blessing on the, on the house of Yasharel, who's called out and chosen, called out and chosen to do what? To guard the Shabbat and to hold to the covenant. This is what the house of Yasharel is called out to do. And we don't do it. We don't do it and we don't do it and we don't do it and we don't do it. And instead we get caught up in this, uh, you know, bowing down and worshiping other idols and other Elohim and following the traditions and the strictures that go with such worship. And so we see that people come in and, and what would take place is that you'd have a blessing with Carthage, to give you an example, okay? And so you had what's called the Punic Wars. And in the Punic Wars, Carthage succeeded in defeating Rome in two of the three wars. Now, they're going to war with Rome because they're becoming prosperous. Why are they becoming prosperous? Because they, like the state of California, were producing all that they were the, the bread basket for, for Rome. And because they were the bread basket, wealth was coming to them, right? I don't know if you've seen the movie, um, I think it's Gladiator. No, is that the name of it? When it with Marcus, uh, what's his name? You know, uh, um, Russell Crowe playing the gladiator who ultimately kills uh, the Caesar in battle. But he comes from across the Mediterranean. He comes from the area around Carthage. So what you see is that in the Third Punic War, Rome says, that's it. We've had it with Carthage. We're not going to put up with them again. We're not going to allow them to come in and to destroy Rome again. And so they go over this time with impunity to completely destroy the Carthaginian empire. And what happens? The leadership in Carthage takes 500 infants and throws them over the wall in human sacrifice while the Romans are sailing into the bay in, at Tunisia, 500 infants. Now, this concept of this idea of we're going to obtain power and we're going to obtain authority by sacrificing uh, infants is, you know, is demonic, it is satanic, and it is a concept that is the most foul paganism you can imagine and is completely 100% anathema to the teaching of Yahweh who loves children and who calls them innocent lives and who commands us that thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not take those innocent lives. And yet we as a society continue to believe that the taking of an innocent life is what strengthens our social culture. Now we don't wanna talk about it, but you know, we're, we have to talk about it because when we're talking about what can be done in the American culture, is we have to return to the preservation of life. It begins with calling life sacred and, and doing everything we can to preserve it. Now, this is not an easy task because when you look in a world, when, you know, we, we, can, we can follow this progression very closely if you'd like, but I can tell you that when you see what happened in World War II, you had a rise of a group of people fascists, socialist fascists 
in uh, that that were calling themselves the National Socialist Party of Germany, also known as Nazis. They were a left-wing collectivized organization and, and totally pagan. And these Nazis believed in uh, racial supremacy. And so with, because they believed in racial supremacy, anything that was not of the race that they proclared, pro, proclaimed to be supreme had to be destroyed. And of course, they, they uh, isolated the Jews as disease carriers, right? Jews were first marked with the yellow star because they were, the Germans were told that Jews were carrying a contagious disease that would kill other Germans. And that eventually became, we don't care if you're carrying the, the disease or not, you're going to the death camp, right? And they did the same with the gypsies and they did the same with other, you know, non-pure races. Now, of course, what the Germans did establish was that the Germanic race is a bunch of warmongers, and that's about it. They, didn't, they certainly didn't establish any racial supremacy, but they were going after this. Now, this, this same leadership in Germany, you know, you had this Third Reich, and I'm not going to go too far down the road, but let's just say the first Rome was the Western Roman Empire, where Rome was its capital. That was removed by a British agent named Constantine, born in York, who moved it to the former site of Troy to reestablish Troy. And the Western Empire collapsed and fell. And when it collapsed and fell, it went into a dark period from about 400, 430 AD until about 800 AD, where it was dark. And it was very, very dark. And in 800 AD, Charlemagne was named as the Caesar, if you will, Kaiser of the Holy Roman Empire. And the Holy Roman Empire, which is neither Roman nor holy, was German. It was a German war machine. And that German war machine reigned for a thousand years. And it was known as the Second Rome or the Second Reich. Well, in 1800, the Second Reich collapsed. And when it collapsed, they were the Germans were busy trying to reform and to recapture the military strength and the military presence to become the Third Rome. And they finally did following World War I, and they became known as what? The Third Reich, the Third Reich, the Third Rome. Well, this Third Rome proclaimed itself when it formed under Adolf Hitler, proclaimed itself that it was going to reign for a thousand years. Well, supposedly the British Empire and the American nation, as well, of our, as, well as our allies, that we beat them in World War II. Don't tell it to Brussels, okay? And don't tell it to the Pope because the truth is the heirs of the Third Reich completely infiltrated the United States government and they control the EU. And the EU are not elected people, they are appointed people. And they're all children of the Third Reich. And the Pope has gone in and installed in his most highest offices, Third Reich members. Third Reich heirs. Nobody wants to talk about it, but we, we all know the name Karl Rove, right? Karl Rove. His grandfather was a man named Karl Rovener. And you know, Karl Rove calls himself the architect, right? His grandfather, Karl Rovener, is the designer of Auschwitz. Uh, you know, when you talk about in the Third Reich, the Third Reich was imported, it's Gestapo, was imported into the United States under Operation Paperclip in 1948. 
to create an intelligence agency in the United States called the OSS. And it became the CIA. And the CIA has always been Third Reich-controlled, Nazi-controlled intelligence who has worked on behalf of uh, ensuring the supremacy of Rome. And so what you see is, is that the Third Reich, even though militarily it was defeated, it was not defeated at all economically. It was not defeated at all politically. And now you have a Third Reich representative, an heir of the Third Reich, whose name is Klaus Schwab, who is a racial supremacist, eugenicist, Malthusian, Nazi, who is the leading spokesman for the World Economic Forum, who is demanding that the population of the earth be reduced along racial supremacist lines and is calling for the Great Reset. So let's be clear that the Great Reset that you hear talked about in the news is in fact a a Nazi doctrine, corporate fascism, uh, that is being put in place in order to further and uh, and to solidify the political reach of Rome. Now, Rome, when we talk about Rome, we like to look at the Pope, you know, like John Calvin did in his 1650, uh, pardon me, in his 1560 Geneva Bible, where he point blank says that the Pope is the Antichrist. And he wants to point to the Pope as saying, this is the father of all difficulty and all evil. Well, the Roman church is the serpent's head. I mean, their self-proclaimed serpent's head. The audience hall is the head of the serpent, and uh, the uh, and they they're openly worshiping Lucifer in the Vatican, and they have been doing that for some time. And you have a, a religion that was formed, which combined it was a blender. It combined uh, sun worship, you know, Mithras worship, Nimrod worship. Its great feast day is the feast of Ishtar, which was the fertility goddess. Uh, it has a secondary feast, which is Christmas, which is Saturnalia, uh, which vers- worshipped uh, Saturn, the war god, and which celebrates, you know, the uh, the um, celebrates the fertility of the of Nimrod uh, after he was uh, cut into pieces, and you know, so and and then it co-ops and takes the timing of Scripture and reassigns it into an arbitrary and capricious algorithm called the Gregorian calendar. And if you think that Rome does not control the world, the whole world is on Pope Gregory's calendar. That gives you an idea of how much control Rome has. All the Christian churches, with very few exceptions in the United States, have a Roman leash around their neck, a leather Roman leash around their neck. And they can sit at the pulpit and denounce and say, here's the situation. We don't like uh, the Catholic Church. You'll hear, you'll hear a pastor say that the Catholic Church, blah, 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 blah. And yet he meets on Sunday as the Catholic Church has told him to do. The Catholic Church killed about 400 million people who refused to accept the Sunday Sabbath, the Sunday worship. Anyone who refused to accept it and continued to practice a scriptural Shabbat was burned at the stake, expelled from the country, had their wealth confiscated, and so on and so forth. This constitutes the history of Europe. And so the Great Reset is, again, a further imposition of the Third Reich, the thousand-year reign of the Third Reich, which is a racist, eugenicist, 
massive genocidal campaign against mankind. That's the condition that we're in right now in this country. There are few people who will even tell you that that's what the situation is. Instead, you have the absolute poster child. There you go, COVID-19, the Great Reset. Yeah, thanks for holding that up, Dawi. You know, you have the poster child for white privilege sitting in the office of the presidency right now, okay? The poster child of white privilege. Here you have a guy who has committed practically every crime there is known to man. He's currently running a, a bribe and corruption scheme out of Ukraine. He's taking kickbacks from China. He's, you know, he's basically committed treason. Completely incompetent to be the president of the United States is not making any of the decisions in the United States. And yet he's above an immune prosecution. You know, Hunter Biden is immune from prosecution with the kind of stuff that's on his laptop. How is he immune from prosecution? Because he is a poster child for white privilege. And as a poster child for white privilege, he comes forward with a super racist doctrine and is engaging in super racism in terms of, oh, we need to make sure that, oh, like, what did he, what did he say? That um, poor kids are almost as smart as white kids, something to that effect. And, you know, he is the one who is making sure that these tainted vaccines, these tainted jabs, these, um, you know, shots of death are going out first and foremost among minority communities. He wants to make sure that those communities are going to be hammered with this. Now, we know that the eugenicist movement uh, in terms of going after infants began, of course, in the house of Yasharel, where we believe in infant sacrifice. But Margaret Sanger created Planned Parenthood primarily to eliminate the African-American community with a proposed and a, and a, a sustained genocide against African-American infants. And as a consequence, eight out of 10 pregnancies in the African-American community end at the abortion mill. And it is those children whose body parts are cut up and put into vaccines, including the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now, a lot of people, we've talked before about these really two options. There's really two options in this jab world. You have the J&J &J jab, which has been banned now in 21 countries. It's been banned in 21 countries because it's a killer. It creates blood clots in the lungs, creates blood clots in the brain. And 21 countries have figured that out and said, not in our country, get it out of here. But then you have the Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca 060606 vaccine. And this protocol, will, they will tell you categorically, does not prevent you from catching COVID. And in fact, there have been 294 cases in Texas of people having a double vaccination and catching COVID. Over hundred cases in the state of Washington, people who've had both vaccines and caught COVID. So it does not prevent COVID. And in fact, it does not even include a COVID antiviral component to it. It includes a synthetic thing that they put into your system that they think is gonna work. In the meantime, the death count continues to escalate. And of course, no one can tell you what the death count is because they won't count it, they don't report it, and they will not allow you to publish it on any form. 
you cannot, what I'm telling you here today would not be allowed on any YouTube video, would not be allowed on any Facebook post, would not be allowed on Twitter, would not be allowed on Instagram, not at all. It's not here. So as Americans, you look and you say, okay, well, how many of us voted for a racial supremacist corporate fascism to be installed in the United States? Well, no one did, but it's been installed nonetheless. And so we as a people, when we look at this, we say, well, hmm, what can we do? I mean, this is the question that I get from pastors. This is the question I get from politicians. This is the question I get from people around the world. What can we do? What do we do? What do we do? And the thing is, is that it always comes back to the same thing because Yahweh has given us a formula. Yahweh has given us a path. He's given us the way and he's given us the truth and he's given us the life. And the Christian church will not teach you the way. They'll teach you the, they'll teach you the life. You come on in here and confess your faith. And when you're done confessing your faith, you know, spend an hour and a half in the pew reading your Bible and we'll make sure that you become completely ineffectual to do anything in the world because you will become convinced that you're sitting there in the pew waiting for the pre-trib rapture and that you needn't do a thing because of the double hyper doctrine of double predestination. You, you needn't do a thing and you don't, you don't even have to change your ways. Your ways are fine because you're forgiven. And all you have, the only rule that exists in all of scripture is the tithe. And so let's just keep on doing what we're doing, you know, pay your tithe and do what thou wilt. And all you have to do to become sacred and sanctified is to show up here for an hour and a half once a week that we're done. Well, now you have a nation that is absolutely full of iniquity. And in those very same churches, some 52% of the people in those churches vote for a pro-abortion candidate in every instance as their only criteria. Their only criteria is that candidate, can I be certain that that candidate will do nothing to overturn Roe versus Wade? Can I be certain that that candidate will do nothing to overturn Planned Parenthood versus Casey? Can I be certain that we're going to continue to have unaltered, unbridled access to the abortion mill? That's the only question I, well, the candidate you're voting for that you know is going to continue your practice of abortion is also a convicted murderer. So, well, they're also a rapist. So, well, they're also a child sacrificer. So, so what? I'm going to turn a blind eye to whatever their other offenses are, as long as they protect my right to abort a child. That's America. Now we're surprised that we have blood drinking, child sacrificing pedophiles as our leadership. Now we're shocked. Oh, that can't be true. Well, it most assuredly is true. And the evidence now cannot be withheld because guess what? The world has Anthony Weiner's laptop. The world has Hunter Biden's laptop and the evidence can no longer be withheld, but it could be denied. So you can put, you know, who are you gonna believe? These, what you see, me or your lion eyes, right? Who are you going to believe, right? And so when you see these kinds of offenses out here and you see what the world has come to, we must repent. You see, we must repent. And repentance starts right there. Because only when we sanctify life again, 
Only when we sanctify life and we say, okay, look, this is intolerable. We're not going to be a society that does this anymore. Only when we sanctify life, only then can we turn and look at the other sins and say, well, look, all life is sacred. You can't take it. And because of that, because we want a candidate that respects life, you're going to find that that candidate who respects life is not someone who's sacrificing children because he respects life. He or she respects life. It's not someone who's drinking blood at a Masonic ceremony somewhere on the 33rd floor of some dark building. No, you're talking about someone who is respecting the word of Yah, someone who is interested in the covenant of Yah. Now, when we talk about the path for those who are in covenant, the yoke is easy, the burden is light. We don't need to sit around here saying, do I have to memorize all 613 mitzvot of the Rambam and then put it in a phylactery on my forehead and grow out yidlocks and stuff? No, no. And I, I know for some people that is like, what do you think? What are you saying? When you see references to the Torah, you're talking about Yah's instruction. Now, I'm not saying that Moshe didn't give us instruction for wisdom and understanding. He did. And the Torah is a very useful tool. At least Moshe's Pentateuch is a very useful tool in how you structure a proper society. But there is no society on earth that's going to be structured on animal sacrifice ever again. That's not going to happen. And you're not going to have a, you're not going to have a society that lends credence should not have a society that lends credence to enslaving people and treating one class of people as if they are something less than human. And the Torah does provide, Moshe's Torah does provide for that, you know, that the children of Yasharel can only be held as bond servants. But the Goyim, who are not of Yasharel, can be held as chattel property and sold and inherited and inherited. And if you go back and you read, if you read the Dred Scott decision, right, Sanford v. Scott, this is the decision that started the Civil War when a million Americans, mostly white guys, in the North gave up their life to uh, terminate the practice of slavery in the United States. When you look at what happened in, in Sanford v. Scott, you know, Justice Taney was quoting scripture, talking about that, uh, that African-Americans were three-fifths human and therefore chattel property. Now, the assumption is that another human being who has human DNA and has uh, you know, human blood is somehow less than another human being who also has human DNA and has blood, right? Because one crowd says, we're su superior to you. This is not Yah's vision at all. This is not Yah's placement at all. That is how Yah views anybody. You know, Greek or Jew, male or female, all are equal before the cross. They're equal before the cross. Yah does not diminish any single human life. But Justice Tani did by saying these people are three-fifths human. Well, I'll tell you something. The North said, we're not going to put up with that. We're not going to tolerate it. And by the way, Scripture also provides that if a slave got free and escaped to Missouri, which was a non-slave state, which is what Dred Scott did, that he was free. That was it. None. And Tani said, nope, nope. Chattel property, if he's chattel property, he has to go back no matter where he escaped to because it's like, you know, you, you, lost, you lost your tractor and they found it in Illinois, which was a tractor-free state. Well, you, you got to return that tractor. And this was his opinion. Now, there is no nation on earth in a civilized world that can re-embrace slavery. Period. It can't happen. 
And technically, bond servitude should not be a part of the world either. Well, you want to come to America? No problem. I'll finance your trip here. But when you get here, you're in contract to me for seven years until you pay off that debt. How do you think all those Irish got in West Virginia doing all that coal mining? That's how they got here, bond servant, right? And, and the scripture goes on to say that if you're a bond servant and your owner, the guy holding you in contract, finds a wife for you and you have children by that wife, when you want to leave after your seven-year term, hey, hey, you're free to go, but guess what? Your children belong to me. Uh, what? Oh, yeah, your children and your wife that I found you, they belong to me. That's my property. You hit the road. So how many guys are going to leave and leave their wife and children behind? Right? They don't. They go to the all and they pierce their ear and they hang out for the rest of their life as a servant. Now, this is... And again, no civilized society is going to do that. Not anymore, because that's not the covenant of Yahweh. The covenant of Yahweh is the 10 Devarim. And in Deuteronomy 5.22, he says what? He wrote these things with his finger, crafted them on a sapphire stone, which is a, a numbered writing engraved in stone. And he added nothing further. Now, do you think Yah could have added 613 mitzvot if he was going to write it out? Of course he could he could have done like, you know, Joseph Smith and wrote it on a big disc, right? He could have done anything he wanted to do. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. And what ended up inside the Ark of the Covenant were those 10 Devarim that he calls his covenant. The 10 Devarim are his covenant. That's what went in the Ark of the Covenant. The other stuff was on the outside of the Ark. It was on the outside of the Ark. What was on the inside of the Ark was Yah's instruction as to how to live on this earth. Do these things and live in them. Go ahead, question. Someone has a question? Okay. So yeah, let me, let me, uh, I see Doc here, let me add him. So when you're talking about, so when we, go ahead. When we, uh, when we talk about, okay, Marco, are you gonna say something? I gotta mute you there. Okay. So when we when we talk about this this covenant, the ten Devarim, this is Yah's Torah. Hey, Doctor P, sorry to interrupt, but people in the chat are saying um, someone's trying to get in. Yeah, it's Doc. I got him in. I think. I think I got Doc in. Okay. We're right at the limit right now. <laughs> so anybody anybody else comes in, I was going to try to increase our limit this week, and I ran out of time to do it. And. Yeah, yeah. So when you so here when you when you, when Ryan is saying this is my commandment that, that you love anyone as I have loved you, this is true, Ryan. However, don't forget the command out of First John. This is the love of Yad is keeping his commandments, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. That's also in the Gospel of John, and in in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew twenty eight, where Mashiach says, "All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son." And the Ruach HaKadosh, hey, Doc. And teach them to obey all that I have commanded them. The love of Yah begins, the, you demonstrate your love of Yah by keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They are not a heavy burden. They are not an onerous yoke. They are a light yoke and an easy burden. And in, but, but they are a qualitative state. Like, for instance, we talked about this a little bit last night. You know, you have the edict, thou shalt not steal. Oh, I don't steal. 
Well, look, as soon as I mentioned thou shalt not steal, we had a number of people who work in food markets, shopping markets. Oh yeah, I mean, the kind of attrition that goes on in, in, in a given store is about $3,000 a day of people doing things like eating grapes, drinking juices, this kind of thing inside the store. And then of course, employee theft out the back door. So you've got theft going out the front door and you've got theft going out the back door. All of that stuff results in what? Corporate loss, the corporate loss is made up how? By increasing the price to everybody else. So theft becomes taxation on everyone who does not steal, you see? But that's just in one supermarket. We're not talking about the other places where intellectual property is stolen, where, where you know, you have all kinds of theft that goes on in, in the real world. And so when you say thou shalt not steal, you know, there's a lot to it. And, you know, and when Yah says thou shalt not steal, we have to really kind of plot our lives out to figure out and to research and see it's a qualitative state, not a quantitative state. In other words, you say, well, I stopped stealing. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. You need to look and do a thorough inventory of your life and see about how you can reduce what it is that you take from others, right? It's a big, important point. Now, also, when you see other things like, you know, the, the covetousness, right? The, the, the commandment on covetousness. What is this? Why would he say don't, don't lust after, don't covet these things, right, from other people? Why would he say that, that stuff? Because covetousness also has another element to it, which is to defraud, you see? Because when, when, you're, when you're trying, to, when you're covets, coveting something, well, I'm going to get that from somebody, but I'm not going to steal it from them. Instead, I'm going to defraud it out of them. I'm going to use fraud to get it from them. Well, let me give you an example of how this works. Right now, we have one of the largest schemes of fraud ever perpetrated on mankind, ever in the history of mankind, which is this uh, scandemic. Now, you know, you have this fraud that was initiated by a group of quack scientists and guys inside the Defense Department who wanted to weaponize the virus. Why? Because they're Third Reich people and they want to kill off of the non-superior races on the earth and they want to do it, then they think they can do it via a weaponized virus. And they had failed to create a virus that's capable of killing mankind, no matter how much they try. And believe me, they're trying all the time and they're using your tax dollars to do it. So you had, and one of the chief perpetrators of this was Anthony Fauci. And he was responsible for supervising and engineering this development of this SARS-2 virus that we call COVID, directly funding it through NHAID and then pushing it through Fort Detrick and when Fort Detrick uh, failed all the FDA uh, supervisory parameters for dealing with such virus, they shifted out to Wuhan, which also failed, but Wuhan didn't care, and they went ahead and developed the virus anyway. We now believe that when the virus was unleashed in China, that China uh, stopped the virus from spreading any further by terminating the lives of 21 million Chinese people. And then the virus was intentionally released in the United States and around the world but this virus, by the time it got here, was still not a lethal virus. In fact, what, you know, the death rate is less than 1% in all categories of human life, including those people over 75 years who have serious comorbidities. You still have a death rate that's at 0.164. And among people under 70 without comor comorbidities, your chances of dying from COVID are very, 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 very slight. 99.98% of people who catch COVID survive and get better. More people die from the flu easily from other viruses 
that uh, are not contained. But you have the very guy who perpetrated the weaponization of this virus and who is in on the patents, uh, not only for the patent for the virus, but also the patent for the antivirus. That very guy is the one who comes on TV and tells you you have to wear a mask. He's the guy that comes on TV and says you have to social distance. He's the guy that comes on TV and tells you you need to be quarantined. All of those things, a mask is a preventative medical treatment. Under the Universal Declaration of Bioethics and Human Rights, you have to give informed consent. And if you do not give informed consent, you cannot be prejudiced for withholding your consent. Contact tracing is preventative medical treatment that is controlled by the Universal Declaration of Bioethics and Human Rights and requires informed consent. If you don't give informed consent, you cannot be prejudiced for not giving the consent for withholding consent. Quarantining a person who has not been diagnosed as ill is a direct violation of all your human rights, including crimes against humanity. It's a violation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and a violation of the Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights because it's preventative medical treatment and requires your informed consent and you cannot be prejudiced if you do not give it. Uh, wearing a mask, so wearing a mask, quarantine, contact tracing, and of course, when you get to a mandatory vaccine, a mandatory vaccine is a heinous crime against humanity, and it violates the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and Bioethics, and it also violates the 1947 Nuremberg Code. Now, who was convicted at Nuremberg when this code was created? It was Nazi scientists. These very same people and their children are the ones who are bringing us this gigantic fraud. This fraud in, in the year 2020 cost the world $23 trillion. In California alone, 40% of small businesses have closed as a result of this fraud. In the meantime, the wealthiest 1% of the world, one-tenth of 1% 1 of the world, increased their wealth by $15 trillion last year, okay? These are the corporate fascists who control the World Economic Forum, who are making these decisions and who have been perpetrating a crime against the world. This crime of fraud is based in thou shalt not covet. And what you see from somebody who deals with covetousness is that there's never enough, right? Well, I've got an $80 million home. I've got a $140 million yacht, but guess what? Jeff Bezos is, is being accredited as being richer than me. I need to make more money. I need to make more money. I need to make more money. I need, and I'm going to do it at the expense of whatever it takes to satisfy the lust of my covetousness because I need more and more stuff. And there is, and I don't care how much stuff you buy. I need these toys, that toy, this toy, the other toy. I got to have this, that, the other thing. Go ahead and get it. At the end of the day, you're still going to be hungry for more toys. Your appetite's going to be looking for a more fancy watch, a bigger car, a bigger house, a bigger vacation villa, a bigger boat. You're never going to be satisfied with what you have because that's the lust of covetousness. And this is why Yah says thou shalt not covet because there's a fraud component associated with that. And so when we say in our lives, well, I can follow the Ten Commandments. Yes, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. But thou shalt not covet is a discipline that has to come into your life where you pull back and you say, hmm, I can live with this. You know, this is enough, right? You know, remember the song, your grace is enough for me. Well, you know, your grace and your provision should be enough 
should be enough for all of us. Because Yah's provision, his prosperity, is something quite different than the prosperity of the world. You know, it's the prosperity of shalom, right? It's the prosperity of fellowship. It's the prosperity of family. It's the prosperity of the wonderful thing. It's the prosperity of finding beauty in the simplicity of life and the joy of living without being consumed with the lust of materialism, right? And so this covenant, you see, you, so you can see that we have a quantitative a quantitative, a qualitative state of following this Torah, not a quantitative state. Now, when we get into this issue of the second commandment, which is idolatry, right? Idolatry becomes an extremely large issue because Paul now is going to give us an idea of the scope of idolatry. When Paul talks about sexual immorality, he calls that idolatry. He calls it idolatry. When you see people who are celebrating in the world, like for instance, even the idea of when you talk about, oh, well, the Ubermensch, you know, the, the superior man, the superior race, that's idolatry. That's pure idolatry. And as soon as you fall into that idolatry, guess what happens? It's going to be accompanied with other pagan trappings that follow that same idol. It comes with it. And there is a demon that comes with that idolatry. There is a demon with every false god out there. There is a demon standing right behind it saying, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And when you bring that false god into your life, into your way of thinking, that demon comes with it. That demon comes with it. And he doesn't stop talking to you once he gets in. He doesn't stop talking. So at any rate, we look at the covenant now, the covenant of the Ten Commands, and we, try, and we, you know, like David says, I meditate on your Torah day and night. Contemplate these things. Like, here, let's talk about idolatry. In the UK, everybody come out and come out of your house and let's all applaud the NHS. These are our heroes, okay? Now, of course, this started with the premise that, first of all, they're being paid as their profession to save lives. Premise number one. Premise number two. They were never, there was never a hospital anywhere except in Milan that was overwhelmed by anything that happened to COVID. Not one, not one hospital anywhere was overwhelmed. And the only reason the hospital in Milan was overwhelmed is because they were engaged in genocide of their elderly community through medical malpractice. Oh, this guy's got COVID. Well, actually has the flu. Well, no, we think it's COVID. Shove a ventilator down his lungs and kill him, which is what they did, right? They shoved ventilators down everybody's lungs, blew their lungs up and killed them. The German scientists, there were five German doctors who came out and said it was medical malpractice that racked up all that death toll in Milano. Other than Milano, there was no emergency room overwhelmed by anything. In fact, most of the hospitals were, were way down they were. They had an 80% capacity because the, all the governors, oh, we need to flatten the curve. What curve? There was never an, uh, an ER that was overwhelmed by anyone. They sent out a whole... Army Corps of Engineers to build a medical camp in Seattle. They didn't treat one patient. Trump brought in the mercy ship, you know, the great hospital ship. Let's bring in that hospital ship and treat COVID patients. Not one, not one, not one, not one set foot on the boat, right? So what you see is just a gigantic fraud of a whole fantastic lie. But in the meantime, in the EU, let's all step outside our house and applaud the heroes at the NHS. Why? Because we worship the serpent. 
We worship the Cadesis. We worship those two serpents wrapped around the pole. Oh, national health care. Oh, health care. Well, you know, the big issue in the campaign for presidency in 2020. Well, I'm going to bring in socialized medicine. You know, we're going to have, we're going to have, it, we're going to have just one health, you know, we're going to bring back Obamacare. It's going to be a single payer uh, system where everybody gets free, free health care, free, 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 free. You know, the Soviets have a saying. The only thing free in the Soviet Union was the cheese that was set at the base of the mousetrap. That was the only thing free in the Soviet Union, right? There is nothing free. You think it's free? It's free for me to have nationalized health care, except that you pay 25% more income taxes than do people in the United States. But the free health care system in Canada is accompanied by a 39% income tax rate on any amount of income above $24,000, plus a 10% GST, general sales tax, plus VAT taxes on things like gasoline that puts gas at nine bucks a gallon. But at least your health care is free. At least your health care is free, right? And what does it mean when your health care is free? Well, when Bill Clinton sells you a bunch of blood that's tainted with the AIDS virus from prisoners that he didn't bother to scan, and 30,000 people in Canada die from it. Hey, I want to sue for medical malpractice. No, it's healthcare, national healthcare. Here's your 1,500 bucks, shut your mouth and go home, right? There's no medical malpractice lawsuits in Great Britain because there's no such thing as medical malpractice. National healthcare, they cut off the wrong leg, step outside your apartment and applaud because you're called to idolize the serpent. You're called to idolize the educational system. Oh, the public school system. We need to idolize that. In the state of Washington, it's a constitutional mandate that the state shall pay for the public school system. So, of course, these Carthaginians that are running the, uh, the, the government, now that they completely control every child in the state of Washington, well, let's have sex education now. Mandatory sex education, which the parents cannot opt out of, your consent is not allowed, while they teach you that anybody who says that transgenderism is an incorrect aberration or that may read out of the MSM-5 say, and the MSM-4 and the MSM-3, the psychological manuals that say it's aberrant behavior and a psychological dysfunction, that person is a racist, bigot, homophobe whose children need to be taken away. And they teach that to kindergartners. Because guess what? With the idol of the, of, this, of the public education system came the demon. The demon walked right in the door with that idolatry. Maybe you're called to idolize the dollar or the Bitcoin, you know, you're, or, you're, or you're called to idolize gold and silver. Let's idolize this stuff. Bring it in. You bring the demon in with you. Yah doesn't call you to do that. You know, it's like in Jeremiah 7, 21, when he says, you know, you want to go out there and sacrifice bull, go sacrifice bull, eat the flesh. But I never instructed you to do that when I brought you out of Mitzrayim. Instead, I said, obey my voice and I will be your Elohim and you will be my children. When did he speak? When was his voice heard by the house of Yasharel? It was heard one time. And that was, heard, that was at Mount Horeb. When he spoke to them face to face, 
And what he said to them is set forth in Exodus 20, the 10 Devarim, his covenant. And so we are his people. We, take, we guard his Shabbats. We take hold of his covenant. And last but not least, the instruction that comes out of the New Testament, out of the Gospels, which is to what? And it also comes out of Isaiah. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those in priests in prison, take care of the orphan, take care of the widow. And these are things that we need. We have a burden to do. These are duties that we're called to do. Isaiah 54 talks about, you know, what is a real fast? You know, you think a real fast is not eating and then putting ashes on your forehead and then going to your friend's house and complaining about the fact that you haven't had a thing to eat since, you know, 1130 this morning. Well, it's only noon. I know I'm not going to make it through this fast. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says the true fast is, yeah, maybe you're not going to eat. But if you're not going to eat, share your bread with your fellows, right? Look out for those who are who are not clothed, right? Take the homeless in, you know, and to do the things that are required of us to look out for our neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Hard things for Americans to do, hard things for capitalists to do. Yeah. But it's something, it, these are disciplines that we're required to learn because these are the duties. And when you do these duties, don't expect brownie points in heaven, right? Don't even expect a statement, well done, my good and faithful servant. These are your duties. These are what you're, these are the minimum requirements to get in, right? You got to meet these minimum requirements to get in. And so this is where we are. So this is the, and so when we talk about repenting as a nation, you know, this premise, thou shalt not kill. And I get in these huge arguments, thou shalt not murder. Well, no, it's actually thou shalt not kill. And then Yah tells you how you can kill, who you can kill, what you can kill. And that, that's the only killing that can be done. The other killing is you're not supposed to do that killing. And that means not killing the innocent. And so what it's going to take is, when we ask, what can we do? We as a nation have to turn back from child sacrifice, infant sacrifice. That's what we have to do. And in our country, we're so evil right now that when somebody goes into Planned Parenthood, And they actually catch them on film saying, oh, yeah, you know, we want to make sure that the baby is born alive so we can harvest their organs because those organs are worth a lot more money. Right. They tell you that. And there have been docs. I'm not going to get too too gross in this thing and talk about how bad this really is. But it is bad. It's really, really bad. And if you heard the whole story, most of you would like want to vomit because you don't want to hear it. You don't want to know what they what they really do. And these people who are engaged in this industry are ghouls. And there's no possible way that this, we as a nation should be allowing this to go on. And so only, you know, only when 52% of the church is insistent upon voting out the pro-abortion candidate, does Yah ever hear the prayers of this nation? And instead of that happening, Virginia, last year or the year before passed a law saying oh it's lawful to abort the child after the child is born professors at princeton have said this is lawful activity governor of new york wanted to adopt the same law not only is it lawful to abort the child one minute before the child uh, leaves the birth canal but even after if the parents don't like the child well you know, 100 years ago, that was first-degree murder. 
In fact, not even 100 years ago, if you read the decision in Griswold versus Connecticut, Griswold versus Connecticut, there's a dissenting, or a, excuse me, a concurrence, apparent, a concurring opinion written by Justice Harlan. And at that time, this was 1968, fornication, adultery, homosexuality were criminal, uh, criminal uh, events in all 50 US states. They were criminalized in all 50 US states. You can go to jail for committing adultery. You could go to jail for committing fornication. You could go to jail if you were caught in an act of homosexuality. You go to jail in all 50 states. Well, that's not the case anymore now, is it? And so because that's not the case anymore, with every little bit of idolatry you bring in, in comes a demon with it. Now we know, for instance, we had this big argument in the early 2000s following 9-11. The argument became, well, we want to have domestic partnerships for same-sex couples because that's how we can achieve equality. Okay, all right. Now, inside, the, inside that community, you would have people telling you, oh, we don't care about marriage at all. What we want to do is destroy their marriage. We don't care about, you know, we don't care about marriage whatsoever. We just want to kill theirs. And anyway, so the domestic partnership came in and there were lots of people warning that once you cross over, the, there was a Defense of Marriage Act that had been passed in 1998 that said, it doesn't make any difference if some radical, super left-wing, super liberal state adopts same-sex marriage. It doesn't have full faith and credit in any other state in the union. That was the Defense of Marriage Act adopted under Bill Clinton. And once you cross that threshold, you're going to cross the threshold. We want to have domestic partnerships. You cross that threshold onto that slide. Well, that slide now has opened up have really, we've come right down the face of that slide now, haven't we? Because then it went from domestic partnerships to we have to have same-sex marriage, and then same-sex uh, married couples have the right to adopt. Then that's followed by transgendered rights, guys who want to slip into a dress so that they can get into the girls' locker room. That's how that, that you can't discriminate against them. Now you can't discriminate against guys who identify as women who want to play in women's sports. Okay, so... What happened to women's rights? Well, I'm a feminist and I support women's rights. Well, no, you don't, because now the public bathrooms in states that are you know, giving full credence to transgenderism are no longer public for women. They can't use them anymore because you never know if there's gonna be a man in the stall next to you. And it's the same thing with public locker rooms. You can't use the showers at the YMCA because you never know there's gonna be a man who is identifying as a woman there. And it's also ending women's sports. Because women are out competing, then some guy says, I'm a, I'm a woman. And, you know, the guy, there's a guy competing as an MMA fighter who's, who identifies as a woman. And he's cracked open the skulls of five women competitors. And everybody's celebrating him as the great, you know, the great uh, athlete, right? Okay, so transgenderism, that comes in, which, is, which, of course, is going to open the door to transhumanism as a fundamental right. But that we're not done. Why should we stop there? Now you have somebody who is arguing for the right to marry his daughter in an openly incestuous relationship in New Jersey. You know, and you have a nonstop push for the decriminalization and the legitimization of pedophilia. And you can see it that in the schools, you don't have the right to not consent if your daughter gets pregnant when she's 12, 13, she gets pregnant, she can get an abortion, doesn't have to tell you, the school system doesn't have to tell you, and you don't have the right to withhold consent. You don't have the right to withhold consent 
when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, you don't have the right to consent when it comes to vaccines. Your child has to have a vaccine. Well, I don't want to consent to that. Your child can't enter this enter the school system. Now you don't have a right to consent as to whether or not your children are, are going to be fed nonstop sexual propaganda in the form of sex education that is hinged around stopping domestic violence and abuse. But really what it's about is teaching your child that there is no room for intolerance for sexual orientation, which includes pedophilia. So ultimately the next conclusion is going to be, can you withhold consent if your child claims that they're in love with an adult? You see, boom, pedophilia legalized, just like that. John, you had a question? Well, more of a statement. Um, I think it was back in 2008, wasn't it? Case Law School uh, got a grant for like eight or $900,000 to study how human non-humans and how that would actually fit uh, in with the constitution, how they could actually uh, uh, deal with that. Yeah, how you can deal with transhumanism. Yeah. And it's very interesting because you have, this becomes a real issue, John, and thank you for raising the question. This becomes a real issue because, you know, to say you have human rights requires you to be a human being. Now, when you talk about an mRNA a protocol that's being injected into your system, the mRNA creates, can create, and many people believe do, does create a chimera. That is to say, you're no longer fully human because you have a rogue set of nanobots that are messenger RNA that is converting not just one cell, but every single cell in your body is being converted. And as Dr. Mikovits has pointed out, that that conversion that takes place with this mRNA is actually creates an, an autoimmune deficiency syndrome, i.e. AIDS. It creates AIDS. Now, this is why Australia was very quick to ban these vaccines because the first four people that took the vaccines immediately tested positive for AIDS for an autoimmune deficiency syndrome, right? Immediately. Well, if it's changing all of the human cells, do, do they become chimera? Now, you may have constitutional rights, like a corporation has certain constitutional rights, but a corporation, even though it's considered an entity with certain rights, it does not have fundamental human rights. It may have constitutional rights, but it does not have fundamental human rights. And so even though you can look at it, you can look at it any way you want, but the, the, the key issue is this, if you're a chimera and if you're something less than fully human, then under the Torah statute and under the rhetoric in Dred Scott, you can be held as a slave because you're definitely, you're provably not fully human. Therefore you can be held as a slave. And you can become chattel property that can be traded, which of course is what they're doing on the international stage and primarily out of the Third Reich. They, you know, and through the Vatican, they have, they have commercialized and chattelized, if you will, the birth certificate, which they use uh, as collateral for international loans. Most Americans don't know that they're collateralized, but they are. And so you see that, that it does open a door. It opens a door to reinstitute slavery. And also to allow for massive genocide. We're gonna kill off all these people. Why are you killing them off? Because they're not fully human. And they're and right now, they're just useless eaters. So we can kill them off if we want. And you can't accuse me of murder because I haven't killed a human being. Catherine, go ahead. Excuse me, Dr. P. 
my friend Yarixa got kicked out. That's Y-A-R-I-X. She got dropped. Could you let her back in, please? I'm trying. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Okay, Catherine, go ahead. Press your space bar, Catherine. Press your space bar. You're still muted. You're still muted. There you go. Hi. Can you hear me now? Yes. The way I see transhumanism, I, I feel it fits in the book of Daniel, very much so, with the ten toes, because iron and clay do not mix. Right. And it's just what I feel Yah has shown me in the end times. It's got many meanings. It does. And I agree with that. I mean, there are many people who have reached that same conclusion that the iron and clay that is at the foot of the statue is in fact transhumanism. And, mm. you know, uh, this is, you know, uh, Steve Quayle has done a lot of conferences on this and talking about its development. And of course, people say, well, I don't want to be a cyborg, right? To have a chip implanted in your brain. And Elon Musk. Elon Musk, yeah. They have the technology right now to implant a chip in the brain. Now, think about this with your kids, right? If you're a parent with school-age kids, you've got your kids come home and say, we have the opportunity to get the chip. What's the chip? Well, it's an implant in the brain that allows me to pick up, you know, a complete college education instantly and 50 languages and so on. All I have to do is put the chip in. And you're saying, okay, well, what's happening at the school? Well, there's already been 50 kids that have gotten the chip. And so, you know, there's no possible way we can compete with them in any class because they're getting straight A's because they know everything, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so now what? Well, how do we compete in the marketplace? Well, you can't because the guys that are working in the tech industry all have the chip. The guys who are working in government all have the chip. The guys who are, you know, they all have this chip. And so they have this, you know, this massive set of knowledge. So what are we going to do? So what do you tell your kids? You tell your kids, well, we're going to remain organic. Oh, we're going to remain organic. So you mean I'm going to be one of the dumb cannon fodder, you know, the cattle that's going to be put out to seed, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so this is, this literally is their plan. Elon Musk has made it very clear that this is the plan mm -hmm. and they already have the technology to do it. And so where does this leave us? You know, the great unwashed, right? The great unwashed, the unvaccinated. Get ready for your yellow star. Jackie, go ahead. You mean? Jackie, you there? Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I should have put my hand down. I was just asking for my friend to be let in. You, you oh, did it. It looks like so, Maria's in the back of the waiting room. Let's see if we can get her in. <laughs> there we go. Okay. All right. Any other questions? Anybody's got any questions? Now is the time to do it. Let's raise them. I just want to make a point about uh, the 1,335 days since the Great Eclipse was on the 14th. Is that right? Yeah, and Daniel 12, 12. Daniel 12, 12. Well, I'll tell you, that's a very interesting circumstance because, you know, we talk about, we talk about uh, these numbers that are coming forward now in Daniel 12, 12, that we're beginning to see something happening here worldwide. And, you know, again, we talked about this at length on Behold the Black Horse. If you get a chance to catch that video, check. If you haven't seen it, check out that video because I go through a lot of detail that I don't want to share here today. But we have, uh, we're, you know, we're in a very explosive time worldwide. We've crossed a threshold that is uh, deadly and dangerous. 
And this is why, uh, you know, that we in the remnant, we need to believe two things here. One is, is that justice is coming to the earth. That's the black horse. Justice is coming to the earth. And the second thing is, is that Yah is raising his hand on our behalf right now. Don't think that's not happening. It's happening. Yah is raising his hand on our behalf right now. Okay, Kiara, go ahead. Thank you, Dr. Pigeon. Um, I'm in London in the UK. So before I ask my question, just wanted to make a comment on what you said about the NHS. There's yes. even more fitting story in the Bible about that. And when it started happening, that we had to go out and clap, so-called. The first thing that came to mind is uh, Daniel 3.10, Nebuchadnezzar, asking everyone to bow down and worship the gold statue when the music played. And funny thing is that after the clapping, somebody suggested that we should do just that, to bow a knee in respect uh, to the NHS, to the oh, oh, that was, they even asked to, for, to, for, to include yeah. the bow the knee. Somebody, wow. somebody suggested that. It was obscene. It was obscene. But um, wow. having said that, I, I actually came tonight with a question on my mind that has been nagging me for a long time to the point of not being able to go to sleep. And it's probably something that is uh, plaguing many in the remnant. And you actually asked that very question. What can we do? Uh, what can we do? And, uh, you know, the, and I, funnily enough, we raised that because we're eight hours ahead. So it's the end of Shabbat for us. We raised that in our fellowship today. And um, the question is, what, what, what are the boundaries uh, of the mandate of Yasharel? Are there boundaries to our mandate? Uh, when we see everything degenerating, are we supposed to, to just stick with the mandate of the Great Commission, uh, which is to go out, bring the gospel, prophesy even, and ask for repentance? And then if that doesn't happen, just shake the dust off our feet and go somewhere else. But what are we supposed to do when we see that everything is being trampled on and even the children or family friends are being abused because we're getting to child abuse now in 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 british schools with this agenda of the uh, alphabet degeneration education and uh, you know with with the mandated tests the mandated masks for for children and now we have the end of the lockdown looming on 21st of june and there are polls going around already in the business community that already plot out that the vaccines are going to be mandated because 40 plus percent of people, uh, and these are just common citizens, not the big bosses or the politicians, 40, 44% of people want to have vaccines mandated as a condition to go back to the office. 25% um, or thereabouts want uh, compulsory tests and somebody has already risen to the challenge because we have businessman, businessman Charles Huan, Californian guy, who is the CEO and founder of, um, what is it called, Immuna? Anyway, a company that provides um, uh, lateral flow tests. And the government wants to mandate two tests a week. And these are carcinogenic tests, of course, because... Um, they have ethylene oxide. It's been proven to be carcinogenic. And only 30% of people 
polled don't want anything introduced as a condition to go back to the office. So that's what we're facing. And my question is, what are we supposed to do? Is our mandate clean cut, pure and simple, just stick to, to the Great Commission, ask to repent when we see that everything, any boundary has been overstepped. And I think you mentioned that on Thursday night, Dr. Pigeon, that there's something really strange happening that around the world, it's, it's uncharted territory that even, even our cherished uh, institutions, so-called based on Judeo-Christians values, even the promulgators and believers of these institutions have lost the plot. There's no capability of reasoning. Logic has completely left and abandoned human reasoning. That, so the institutions have, about, have completely failed us. So, and I'm appealing here as, as a legal professional and a successful one at that, Dr. Pigeon. Should we take recourse? Should we use the enemy's tools to become militants and for the righteous cause, or is it something that far exceeds what we're supposed to do? Because we know that if Yah is allowing this to happen, Yahuwah is allowing this to happen. And therefore, um, you know, you read Psalm 99, that 10,000 are going to fall to our right, 1,000 to our left. Is that what is supposed to happen? Are we to do nothing? And I know it's a very, very complex question, but it's something no, that Kara, I'm, I'm, I'm not I alone to, to stay up at night. I have to say to you, Kara, uh, what a wonderful discussion you have put on the table. Uh, it's a, a, a magnificent question, beautifully stated. And it is the question I know that's in the hearts of all of us. You in the UK are in a very difficult situation because you're in a very discreet geographic area. And it's discreet and it's completely controlled. You know, there's, there's cameras everywhere you go that monitor everything you do, right? And as a consequence, it's not like you can flee to the Orkney Islands or maybe to the monastery at Iona or something. You know, you have, you have the difficulty that that's where you are. And, uh, and because of that, and furthermore, you know, the BBC is a nonstop propaganda machine uh, that's even worse than C CNN. There's really no contrary thought, even though the Brits, you know, one thing I love about Britain so much is that uh, it's uh, such a great thinking society. It's a very intelligent society. But when you saw the, when I saw the actions in Trafalgar Square last uh, August and September, I was supposed to speak at Trafalgar Square at some of those events. And, but you know, when, when David Icke becomes the most celebrated voice, you have an idea that uh, the secular reasoning is going, to be, is going to prevail. Now, if you're a solicitor there in Britain, I don't know if that's what you said, but, yeah, but when you're talking about the legal system, the answer is no, do not attempt to use the legal system to stop the judgment of Yah, because it will be an abject failure and you will be standing in front of a bulldozer and they will blade you down into the soil. So do not do that. The next question is, should you engage in violent protest in Trafalgar Square or, you know, or just vocal protest or engage in marching and so forth? This too is not the answer. Now, the fact that 40% of the British people, and, and it's some, I think it's some percentages higher than that in the United States, people lining up and clamoring 
to get jabbed with uh, some kind of technology that does not prevent you from uh, from acquiring the virus. It does not stop it. And it's, it's proven. And it's worse than Russian roulette. You know, I mean, you know that you have a one in 10 chance of dying from that thing. Oh, well, I mean, let's get out a 357 Magnum with a 10 round chamber, put one bullet in it and spin it. There's no difference between that and going down and taking the jab. And when you're talking about the mandatory testing that goes on, and of course, this is also, it's a violation of human rights. And what's mind boggling is, and this is what's so concerning about the EU, you know, you had the Brexit uh, approach that happened. The Brexit was really a true blessing for the United Kingdom. It's a true blessing because you had to pull away from the Third Reich that is the EU. And uh, Nigel Farage is the one who carefully said it. What are you talking about? You guys are going to form an army. Didn't we win World War II? Well, that's a big question in Britain. Didn't we win World War II? It doesn't look like it. And notwithstanding the fact that you had the Brexit and, and that uh, Bojo has come out and said he's a pro-Brexit supporter, the fact of the matter is, is that Bojo is pro-European. He's pro-EU. And he's camouflaged himself as being a Brexit personality. In the meantime, he's bringing this genocide out of Brussels. He's bringing this genocide out of the World Economic Forum that is coming against Britain. And now, if you read the Deagle report, deagle.com, D-E-A-G-L-E.com, the Deagle report uh, expresses uh, some things that are going to happen in the English-speaking world. That is the five eyes, right? The UK, Canada, US, Australia, New Zealand. Those countries are destined for massive genocide. The genocide that's planned in the United States is 250 million people. But they're talking about at least one third of the UK is expected to die from this genocide that they're engaged in. Our own governments are engaged in genocide against us. And when you see people who are saying they're lining up to participate in the genocide, the reason they're lining up to participate in the genocide is because they're lemmings, right? Because they have been in a, they have, you know, they follow the backside of the sheep in front of them. That's it. That's the extent of their thinking. I follow the backside of the sheep that's directly in front of me. And so when we talk about what we, what we have to do, and so here's the first thing. The first thing is, in any, in any believer's life, is what? Prayer, prayer, and more prayer, right? Paul says, pray without ceasing. And so our prayer life has to be very keen because you have to know that Yahweh knows your name. He's known you from the foundation of the world. He knit you together in, his, in your mother's womb. He knows your name personally, and he hears and sees your prayers. And so as a consequence, he is going to do what he's going to do with his remnant. Now, yeah, we have a duty, and this was what was talked about last night. One of the guys in the fellowship asked a very similar question. He said, what about us as a light? Don't we have to be a light in the darkness to others? And we do have to be a light in the darkness for others. That's what we have to be. We have to be shining the light. Now, does that mean going up to somebody, hey, do you know the Lord? You know, whap, slapping him in the face with the New Testament. <laughs> Wake up and smell the coffee, right? No, 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 no. That isn't, that isn't the methodology at all. But I can tell you that the way you shine your light is, number one, Shabbat observance. You're already in that. Shabbat observance and, you, and, and to fellowship with others who observe the Shabbat. There are a number of people like Catherine who's on with us today. She, she's up in Kettering. 
and uh, you know Stuart, who's up in uh, St. Neots, and and Helen, who's out in Trowbridge, you know, and, and uh, you know, and so forth. I mean, there's a number of believers who are Shabbat keepers around you that you haven't met yet, and it's very important to know each other and to know where you are and what you're doing. The truth is, is that there is a remnant that will rise in the UK, and when the death falls around you, the hardest part is going to be resisting the pressure. You vaccinated yet? Have you gotten your vaccine yet? And then your boss comes to you and says, look, no vaccine, no job, right? Or the school system comes to you and says, your child's either vaccinated or they can't come to school and they're gonna be taking two tests a day and they're gonna be sitting socially distanced from other children and they're gonna be wearing double face masks and they have to dance back to back because we can't have them breathing on each other, right? All of these things. And so you have to pull out of the world and as time goes on, you're going to be pulling farther and farther out of the world. That doesn't mean that you close your mouth about the gospel, you know, because the gospel is so present, right? And in fact, now that you've raised it, I just want to read it because it's been burning in my heart for two days, okay? And it's time for me to read it. And this is not kumi ori. Arise and shine for your light has come. But rather, right here, Isaiah 61. This is the passage that Mashiach read. And this is the gospel. And so let's just read it. This is the gospel found in the Old Testament. The Ruach Adonai is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to preach the good news unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh and the day of vengeance of our Elohim, to comfort all that mourn. to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, and to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, which by the way is his name, the garment of praise for the ruach of heaviness, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he might be glorified. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Kiara, put those words on your lips to your friends. Proclaim liberty to the captives. The oaks of righteousness proclaim the name of Yahweh. Because as Mashiach said, I have declared your name unto them and will declare it that the love of you that is in me might be in them. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. M&A Serena, question. My question is actually for Doug. I was wondering if he could uh, tell me if the uh, Planet X being the throne, uh, what video that might have been on if it was in the code searchers. You think Doug's around here somewhere? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. Hey, Doug, uh, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. 
Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure what what that was on. Uh, we did did several of uh, of uh, Nibiru Planet X, and uh, and continue to do so, and it's becoming more and more prominent in the in the codes that we do. We are not sharing them with the public, however. Uh, right. Understood. So okay. that is. Um, it, it, it is important, but it is it is the throne, but it is also uh, judgment. Uh, many most will see Nibiru as a as a destroyer and evil. That uh, when the uh, when the enemy is cast down, like like figs, um, Nibiru will be apparent and. Uh, it is uh, it is his throne. It is his judgment, and um, it's it's going to look look dark, the, except to those who understand and and believe in his name, and they will know that it is in the end the New Jerusalem. Yeah, there you go. And also, too, Doug, when you talk about this, and I know that I've seen a lot of the codes, you know, uh, transacting through this. When you talk about this uh, Nibiru and this and, and it being the throne and if you know the, these meteors falling like fig like figs from a fig tree, you know that there's going to be people that are going to be running into the caves hiding. Oh, I'm going to Greenland. I'm going to go to Greenland and get underground. Let me tell you, that's their grave, right? That is Sheol. That is their grave, because we are not called to run into any of those dumbs. We're not. We're just not a deep underground military base. We're not called to do that. Let them run into it. We're not going to hide in the clefts of the rock. Look up because your redemption draws near. Look up because your redemption draws near. Do not look down. And, you know, walk the face of the earth as a free man. Walk the face of the earth, okay? And be confident that Yah knows what he's doing. He knows, he knows the exact placement of every one of those, where they're going to go, when they're going to hit, and why they're going to hit. We need to be confident. And, you know, and this is something else, too. When you look at the beast system, you know, Kieran, I just want to say this to you. When you look at the beast system, the beast system is going to be destroyed with the breath of his coming. Poof. Now, I want you to think about this. All these kids that are going to have these chips put in their brains and all these people are going to have the chips put in their brain, they're going to be so smart and this, that, and the other thing. With the correct EMP, the correct CME, all that stuff is fried instantly. The entirety the entire system completely fried, completely gone, and it can happen from one solar flare. One solar flare fries their entire infrastructure, their whole beast system, their AI technology, everything completely toasted. And that what scripture says, this is point blank, that they will be they will be completely destroyed with the breath of his coming in a single hour. Gone, poof, gone. So fear not what the world brings. They have their plans and their plans are a distorted vision from the dark one that is nothing but death and what they are doing. And any of these people who are engaged, they hate Yah with a passion. They hate Yahshua with a passion. And all they want to do is kill, 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 and more kill. And as they think about these agendas, what they don't realize is they are 100% in the hand of Yah doing exactly what Yah has told them to do. They are weapons in his hand, just like the Babylonians were a weapon in the hands of Yah in burning down the temple, 
These people are weapons in the hands of Yah. He knows his people. He knows his remnant. He covers us with the feathers of his wings. Be confident. And, and the most difficult thing to do right now is what? The most difficult thing to do right now is to trust in Yah. Trust. Okay, Bettina, question. Bettina, you're on the air. You're live. Come in. Good morning. Good morning, Bettina. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Thursday, I wasn't able to attend, but um, I understood that you talked about this Jezahu Ben David. Yes. <laughs> the one that, uh, uh, exactly. Where did he come from? Because he just didn't pop in. Where well, did he come from? Well, he, he's, you know, the rumor has it that he's half Muslim, half Jewish. And I think he trained in, in, in a madrasa because I think he's a hafez. That is to say, he can get the Quran from memory, the whole thing. But it's also rumored that he can give the Torah from memory, the whole thing. And so because he can give the Torah from memory, all the rabbis are like, okay, this guy must be the Mashiach, right? And his name is actually Shlomo something, but he, uh, but he's taken on this name, Jizyahu, Yahu. That's very interesting because he spells it E-A-U, Yahu right? Which we know Josephus tells us is the correct pronunciation of the yod heh four vowels, e a u a e a u e a u a e a u a right? And so this guy has taken on this e a u And so it's so interesting because Benjamin Netanyahu, you got all these guys that are Yahoo, 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 Yahoo. And then uh, Nekemia Gordon wants to tell us, well, it's Yehovah, not Yahoo, but Yeho, Yehovah. Well, why do all these guys have Yahoo at the end of their names, right? And when you have the yod heh it's Yahoo. If you have yod heh it's Yahua. Well, this guy, I mean, I'm not going to get too far into his name, but let's just say that this guy is proclaimed, proclaimed to be Yahoo Ben David, son of David. So they're looking for two Mashiachs, Ben David and Ben Joseph. That's what they're looking for, two Mashiachs. And Ben David is actually kind of a precursor guy, and Ben Joseph is the warrior. Okay, and so they don't. But have what this... I mean is, I'm Wait. sorry. Go ahead. I, well, I mean, he, he just walked into in Jerusalem one day and said, "Hi, this is my name." Where did he? You know, understand what I mean? Where did he come his, from? I don't know his total background. He's been in. He's been in Israel. He's a native Hebrew speaker. So he's been in Israel for a long time. I mean, you don't learn the Torah from memory without being a native speaker. And uh, that's what he's done. So I don't know. I don't know his whole background. And, uh, but it doesn't matter because he's a false Mashiach. There's no question about that. And yeah, he might be a nice guy and all that. But I mean, look, a huge, huge death toll is coming to Israel very soon because, because everybody is vaccinated. And they're in it. They're in the full board. They're the leading country in the genocide campaign. All right, let's go to Anderson. Anderson, what do you got? Hi, everybody. Um, yes. Well, we're here in the Caribbean. We have our challenges. Um, as I guess most people, if not some of you, would have heard about Saint Vincent. You can't evacuate the island running from a volcano unless you're vaccinated. Um, the tourism boards have also implemented across the Caribbean that in order for you to work in the actual industry, you need to be vaccinated. 
Um, but St. Vincent is 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 is, is probably the, the biggest issue we have because um funny thing but we're getting most of the ash in Barbados, which is like 96 nautical miles to the west. Um we are also so, so the people can't move. And the funny thing about it is, is that a lot of them have decided to leave the shelters because of the forced vaccination. Um, a friend of mine who has a radio show, he actually was in league with um, a Mr. Weber from the International Tribunal, some international court. And um, mm -hmm. they have already sent out cease and desist orders to the leaders of the Caribbean to stop the genocide. Um, Hallelujah. That's good news. Yeah, it's a 44-page document. And the I have a copy of it here. Um, I got it as soon as it came out. But every leader in the Caribbean has a copy of that that, that document. And um, I think the Weber said that the Queen of England and um, Boris Johnson, they got copies as well. But of course, Johnson didn't reply. Um, so they'll probably burn it. Yeah, probably burn it. Trudeau got one too, no reply. Um, so we are waiting. He, he did he did say that if you don't comply, but they went to the Hague today. They're at the Hague today now, um, getting warrants and stuff in place to have warrants sent out to, to leaders, etc. Um, you know, Anderson, this is terrific. Let's just take a second here before we go on any further, because yeah. what you're telling us is terrific news. And, you know, you have a very interesting thing going on. We may have one independent judiciary somewhere in the world, the International Criminal Court at The Hague, you know, because what happened was you had two Jewish doctors in Paris who looked at what was happening in the apartheid regime of Israel, where yeah. they had mandated the vaccines and told people you cannot buy or sell, you cannot travel, you can't leave the country, you cannot go to the mall, you can't go to the supermarket, you can't go to the beach, you can't get in your car unless you're vaccinated. That was the pro and it was mandated. It wasn't suggested. It was mandated. They brought a criminal action against them at the International Criminal Court in, at The Hague. And when they did that, the court entertained the motion. Now, this means that Benjamin Netanyahu and the Knesset members are going to be criminally charged for doing this. And now you see this idea that you have a humanitarian crisis there in St. Vincent, and it looks like it's also in Bar Barbados now, that... Mm -hmm. And the cruise ships are saying, you can't get on board. We're not going to rescue a single soul without a vaccine. And the criminal court is saying that is a violation of international law. It's a crime yeah. against humanity. So we have yeah. somebody, we have somebody somewhere yeah. that is finally standing up and recognizing longstanding international law precedent, the Universal Declaration of Bioethics and Human Rights, and the 1947 yep. Nuremberg Code, of which most of these nations are signatories to, exactly. saying you cannot do these things without the informed consent of the person and whose informed consent can be withdrawn or withheld without prejudice. So yep. Anderson, you're giving us a fantastic report today. You're giving us a yep. great report. Yeah, it is no hitting, it is no hitting the airwaves. Um, and the funny thing about it is that before this happened, I was doing the review of the actual human right, natural law, and common law um, tribunal. And um, they have a pretty solid record for doing these things. Um, they came directly out of the whole Nuremberg um, issue. 
And uh, the funny thing about it is as bad as Canada is, most of the judges are Canadian. Oh, you're talking uh, about the International Tribunal of the Crimes of Church and State, the ITCSS, or the ITCCS, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This was an organ. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that's mm. not as good news as it should be, because even though they're correct judicially, they have almost no mm. enforcement capability. However, the, the fact that they've no. issued a 48-page uh, cease and desist order, it is binding under common law. And what it does tell you is that we have lawful authority to enforce that edict. All right. So with that, Anderson. It is, it is, it is a national. Let me, let me give it a name properly. It is the National, the, the Natural and Common Law Tribunal for Public Health and Justice. Oh, okay. All right. That, that's, that's the name. That's the name of the group. Um, okay. And um, the guys said they're in here today and they'll be looking to get into all involved in. So, so we, we are kind of sitting back waiting to see what's happening because it's in this part of the region, it's getting really funny because the teachers, they are telling the teachers in St. Vincent, if you come to school, when all of this is cleared up, when the, when the volcano has subsided a bit, if you don't get the vaccination, you have to get tested every two weeks. So it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a punishment, you know? Yeah, I know. And, and then the question is, the, the big question is tested for what? Mm -hmm. Can you isolate the virus that you're testing me for? The CDC hasn't nope. been able to do it, but I'm glad you guys have. <laughs> we have not. One more thing quickly. Has anybody noticed that none of the major meteorites in the last, and I've been doing some monitoring in the last four to five years, there has been no major impact on the ground. The last one that happened over, I think that would have been over, it was one over Cuba, and then there was one, um, I can't remember the next place, but they're coming in very big. All the cameras are picking them up, and then there's a load explosion, but then they're finding no impacts. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is noticing. Oh, yeah, yeah, happening. yeah. Yeah, there's been quite a few. There was one over Russia, there was one over Siberia, and yeah. historically there have been some before, but you know, what Doug Fassett was saying about Nibiru, and there's been other people that have taught this too, that when you're talking about the throne of Yah, you're not talking about some typical planet. There is a couple of people who have looked and have said, look, the throne of Yah is actually cloaked in the heavens and is here right now. We just can't see it. We do know that when you're talking about what's going on on Earth, there's 41 volcanoes erupting right now simultaneously. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the incidents of earthquakes have, have just detonated, and it's been a logarithmic increase in earthquakes since mm -hmm. 2016. I mean, when you have the typical number of earthquakes in the world was 7,000 in 1999, and now it's off the chart, 200 and something thousand earthquakes a year in, in the world. I mean, they're happening all over the place. Why? Because there is an electromagnetic force that is present that is disturbing the electromagnetism of the earth right now. And it's causing tremendous numbers of anomalies. And so we sit here as people and we say, well, we don't see it. It must not exist. Oh, well, that's, hmm, look, look, dear, 200,000 earthquakes this year. That's a, a bit unusual. You know, <laughs> no, it's not a bit unusual. You've got stuff going on. Because why? Because Yah is looking down here and justice is coming. The black horse is, is writing. It's true. Thank you for your report, Anderson. Let's go to Randall. Right. Randall, question. I have to unmute myself. 
yeah. <laughs> it's funny that they have all the you know, great technology and cameras and stuff they have, but they can't come up with one clear image. Oh, Randall, can you get a little closer to your microphone? Uh, You're breaking up. Can you get yeah. a little closer? Get a little closer to your microphone. You're breaking up. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're still kind of breaking up. What's what's your question? Um, I've heard this said before. I don't know if it's been debunked or not. But um, what are your thoughts on them implementing a Sunday law? Oh, the Sunday law. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, there's two questions there, really. One is, is the Sunday law coming, which would be Rome imposing itself, very possible. And the other one is, are the Noahide laws coming? I mean, those are two big questions that are coming from two distinct sources. On one hand, you have the nascent Sanhedrin demanding the Noahide system. On the other hand, you have Rome saying, we got to get rid of these Sabbath keepers. Now, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen this vexation for a Sunday law. I, there was some evidence that Trump might have been headed in that direction as a Jesuit operative. You know, people say, well, Trump wasn't a Jesuit operative. Well, then why did he appoint three Jesuits to the Supreme Court, right? I mean, just a question. That's another question. We'll leave it out. But are we coming to a Sunday law? It's possible. And if we did get to a Sunday law, given that there are seven Catholics on the U.S. Supreme Court, what do you think the chances of the Supreme Court upholding that are? I'd say the answer is seven out of nine, right? So it's very possible that it's heading in that direction, Randall, but I haven't seen it uh, direct on right now. Okay, Donald and Alicia, go ahead. Donald and Alicia, did you have a question? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, uh, really, I just want to say Shabbat Shalom family, Dr. P, thank you. Um, everyone else, thank you. Like we are just growing and learning over here in Oklahoma. We're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff going on outside of our house. Uh, we just received a flyer yesterday. Um, my wife did about, uh, it's, I, I immediately, the raw Kimmy like was like, this is just a campaign. Now they're showing you, they know that you have not accepted this thing because we just received a flyer saying, have you got yours yet? You, you know, it's it's the campaign's coming soon and you can do this and this and to sign up and blah, 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 blah. We have not seen anything like that for the nine months since we woke up last year in August. And now this is coming to our doorstep. Yeah. And, you know, for someone to ask you that question is a violation of HIPAA and the ADA in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Have you had yeah. your vaccine yet? Well, here's my answer. None of your business. Right. How dare you even ask? Who do you think you are to ask? But since you're asking, let me ask you, are you a medical professional? And if you are a medical professional, do you carry malpractice insurance? I mean, you go to these places, we need to take your temperature. Oh, do you? Well, mm -hmm. can you show me your license as a medical professional? Oh, well, I'm not licensed. I just work here. Well, do you carry malpractice insurance? Well, what are you talking about? Well, let's say that you put your little thermostat up against my forehead and you register in inordinate right. temperature because your device is defective, or maybe I have a fever, but you register an inordinate temperature. What happens to me after that? Do I have to quarantine for the next two weeks? Do I have to not work? Do I have to shelter in place? Do I have to be separated from my family? 
Do I have to suffer emotional damages, loss of consortium, and real damages in terms of loss of employment? I need to know whether or not you have insurance to cover that cost, especially since you're not a licensed medical provider who's going to be giving a medical diagnosis and who's engaged in a preventative medical treatment that is banned by international law without my informed consent. Right. Uh, well, we're just trying to take your temperature. <laughs> and, you know, right. When you got a place that has one of those temperature devices, you know, they want you to take your temperature. Before you go in there, just get the ice pack, put it on the forehead. You know, mm -hmm. Leave it on there for a few minutes. And then go in there and stick your forehead up. Gee, 60 I must degrees. be dead. <laughs> not dead. <laughs> okay, Marcus, go ahead. Marcus, you there? All right, let me see. Hear me. Can you, you hear on. me now? I can hear you now. Yeah. Turn your microphone up a little bit, would you? No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Just wanted to tell you a couple of things. There's been some chatter over here on the in the chat about what can we do and we're helpless. And I, I just wanted to reassure you of a couple of things. As a minister of music and churchianity, uh, I was conditioned by the church to think certain things certain ways. Reading their scriptures for 35 years, I've been spending a lot of time in them until I came aware of the beautiful power books of the scriptures that were specifically withheld from us for the last thousand plus years, I really didn't have a choice or a chance to make it. But I wanna tell my brothers and sisters on this, that we are not helpless. The power books that you haven't read are where you need to spend your time if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed or a little worried about what's going on in the world, because these power books give you answers. For instance, I'll just read one little passage here in 3 Maccabees. It says in 3 Maccabees 4, it says, now this was the active interference of the uncomparable, unconquerable providence which assisted the Jews, the Yahudim from heaven. I want you to know that we can actively ask for the, the interference of the unconquerable providence. I am a terminal cancer conqueror after leaving the medical system. So I asked for the active interference of the unconquerable providence. And I want all of you, dear pre people, to just realize that in Hokma. Shaloma chapter one there, it talks about Elohim as a witness of his mind, a true beholder of his heart, and a hearer of his tongue. Folks, he's so much more practically and personally involved in your thought processes, in all the things that you're going through personally. He's not sitting on a throne someplace and watching marionettes. He's actively listening to us. And he knows how many hairs are on my head. And if I told you years ago when they took all my hair through the chemo and the radiation and the terrors that they inflicted on me, I will tell you that I grow a beard now because of rebellion to them and because I can and I want you to know that the advice that you get from the media, I'm just going to ask you to consider changing the channels of the radio dial. You all that are old enough, we just used to spin a button and it goes up and down. And listen, if you'll just change the radio channels, stop listening to all the media and spend your time with Father every day. 
It's so important because he's going to give you answers that no one else will have. And you will have the power to do the things that you need to do to stand up on your own when all the world turns against you. Not to worry, because our father knows exactly what's going on to you at this moment. Okay, and I love you all. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Marcus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just so well said and so well brought. The unconquerable providence of Yah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what a great word that is. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, Dipsy One. There you go. All praise, all praise to the Most High. I have a two-part question real yeah. quick. Do we have to do a second Passover, uh, the last Shabbat of this month? I think it's the 25th. Yeah, is there a second? There is a second Passover. Yeah, it's the 25th of this month. And so if you if you if you did the first Passover, whether you don't yeah, have to do I did. the second Passover. But okay. if you want to do the second Passover, do the second Passover. You might have other friends that want to do the Passover with you. And uh, it's worth doing, right? It's worth doing. And uh, you know, uh, look, another opportunity to praise Yah. I mean, great, you know, fantastic, and to celebrate a feast. And so the second Passover is provided for in scripture if you're on a journey afar off, which we all are, but therefore we should be doing the second Passover. So it's not required, but you can't, if you've done the first Passover, it's not required, but you can do the second Passover. And I'm going to encourage you just because you did one doesn't mean you shouldn't do another. I mean, I've already been to four Passovers. So you know, I'm planning on doing another <laughs> one. Right? That's right. The food's good anyways. And the second one is, uh, as I was listening to Marcus too, I, I came out of the church system as well. I was never fully committed. Um, of course, I've been a church jumper, Southern Baptist, Lutheran. I've studied with everybody. I never refused anybody at the door, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, I was never, I never accepted baptism only as a child, which they baptized me Catholic, of course, but I don't right. count that because I didn't have a choice. So where, where can I get baptized nowadays? Because I don't want to be baptized in the ch church system. You know what I'm saying? Well, thanks, Dipsy. When you, you ask the difficult question, look, the fact of the matter is, is I'm going to have to get, a, you know, an RV put it behind my, my yes. vehicle and start touring the country doing baptisms because everybody's got to get baptized. And, and not only here, but I got to go to the UK and do a series of baptisms. Now we found a place, but speaking of that, in the UK, Stuart has found a place up in St. Neots that's a great place for baptism. So we got, we've got a situs there in, in England where we can gather for baptism. But we're talking about baptisms in Southern California, baptisms yeah. in Texas and in Oklahoma, baptisms in the east coast i mean you know uh, there's got to there has to be a whole raft of baptisms and you know, and the truth is is that it's not just me that can do the baptizing right it's somebody else who's been baptized that can do the baptizing and you know when we talk about baptism in the scriptural way you know you don't lean back into the hands of the baptist preacher right because by leaning back and holding you down he is the one that is controlling you whether or not you're going to breathe out of that water again right and so it shows a dependence upon that baptist pastor but the truth is, is you should be leaning down forward into living water. And wow. it's important that the water be moving, right? It, it needs to be moving water. It's, it, it, can't, it should not be stagnant water, but moving water. And uh, so then if you can be baptized in living water, you put your head down into the water and, and, you, and you have to make an express confession of faith. Because what takes place is your baptism is your second witness. Your first witness is your vocalization. You say, yes, Yahusha is my redeemer, my savior. His blood is the atonement for my sins. His resurrection is the resurrection of life that I am expecting. And that he is the true living son of Elohim, the Ben Elohim. And with this confession of your mouth, 
that you have this, that's one confession. The second confession is your baptism because now you're public, you're, you're, you're giving your second witness, which is this immersion in water and you are born again, right? The spirit is born again. So when it comes to baptism, we all have our own arrangements we have to make, I'm sure. But where are you, where are you located now? Uh, I'm in uh, Southern California. Okay, good. I was hoping you weren't going to say Northern Minnesota, you know, because nah. <laughs> the ice is not yet gone, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I've been wanting to get baptized, but the last time when I was, uh, I was studying that's at the seven day Adventist church. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's like, a, you have to agree to like a certain things. And that's why I was like, I was kind of turned off by that. I told him, no, I don't, I don't know about that. So I, I know it was the Ruach that was telling me, don't, don't go yet because I'm like, I'm not committed to no one. Yeah, right, right, right. Because I mean, Ellen White, you know, added to the Torah, right? She added to the Torah and took away from the Torah and she's not Moshe. And, you know, and the fact that they represent the Sabbath, that doesn't mean they keep all the Shabbat. They don't keep the feast. Yeah. You know, they don't believe in the feast and a lot of that, a lot of the doctrine, but it was just a journey that I had to go through to, to go to the, to find the truth, you know? Yeah. Amen. Which I feel everybody here, the family, this is my church family now, you know? Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. And, but uh, let me say this to you, Dipsy. Uh, can you be baptized in salt water? Now, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> in Utah? <laughs> <laughs> can you be baptized in salt water? I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, all right. Let's, let's go. I want to catch Lori real quick. I'll come to you, Catherine, in just a second. Let's come. Lori, how's it going? I got to get you unmuted. I can't hear you yet. Just a minute. There you go. Well, mine, is, mine isn't complicated. I was just wondering, would it be possible, um, Dr. Pigeon, you and Doug, or just Doug, maybe having a Zoom meeting with those that are interested in finding what they're finding in the codes that's private, that they don't want to do public? Because I think all of us are mature enough and understand these extra books and all this other information that it would be very vital to us to move forward and encouraging. Yeah, I'm going to let Doug answer that. Doug, do you have a private channel where some of the some can join? Uh, yes, I do, and um, uh, also uh, uh, part of a, a a group of eleven that um, that we all do codes that uh, are not part of the uh, code searcher group. It is just a very private uh, group, and. Um, uh, We've pretty much uh, proven that Nibiru is New Jerusalem in that uh, the word shows up in the plain text, Nibiru, in uh, once in the Tanakh in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, as uh, taken in the spirit, lifted in the spirit. And then again in uh, Revelation 20, where John is lifted in the spirit and, and shown New Jerusalem. And that was a confirming thing for us that Nibiru and New Jerusalem were one and the same. All right, because we were trying to send you messages to see if we could get a group together to do that as well. But we couldn't get you to look at the chat, so. <laughs> uh, if you, if you, you can send me a message on, on Facebook probably be the easiest it's right under you know my my full name so um you can do that and we can try to arrange it and the uh, the third 
time that uh, Nibiru shows up, it's in reverse. It's, it's in the Prashida as well. It's in uh, Matthew 13.30, which uh, if you're familiar with Matthew 13.30, it's uh, the separation of the uh, wheat of, of, of the tares. Wow. It's, um, it's uh, very, very, very special. And uh, that's why we believe that the, uh, the Aramaic Rashida is, is very legitimate that uh, codes show up in Matthew um, very, very strongly, as well as in Revelation. Both in Revelation and in Matthew are probably two of the strongest books in a Rashida, but uh, most of them do have, uh, have codes in them. But those two are by far the strongest. Those are great words, Doug. Yeah, uh, Laurie, so I'm going to encourage you guys to make that contact. Very good words, uh, Doug. Very, very good words. And I think, you know, we're talking about the Aramaic Peshitta. You know, when we were assembling the Sefer, we did spend a lot of time looking at eight different versions of the Peshitta. And uh, the Aramaic text is really, uh, you know, there's a lot of cred there. Much more cred in the Targums and in the Peshitta than there is in the Septuagint, right? Because the Septuagint was, you know, origins baby. And so anyway, those are very good words. And again, the discussion of uh, Nibiru, and we'll have to, I guess we're going to have to spend some time talking about this later on. What do you got up there, though? What are you showing there? Hold that up a little closer. Oh, yeah, the Palestinian Targum Aramaic and Palestinian Targum. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so when we look at this, when we look at these things, we are going to have to start talking about this because I do think there is more evidence about this stuff than we know. Okay. All right, well, thank you, Lori. And thanks for not making your question too complicated because usually you ask complicated questions. Okay, Catherine, what have you got to say? Yes, no, I wanted to come back to Nibiru as, as well. The way I understood it was, was the Anunnaki, the fallen angels? The Anunnaki, the fallen angels. I mean, now look, this is a very good question. And the answer is probably yes. When you talk about, you know, you, you have to be careful about looking at Zechariah Sitchin's, right? because Sitchins did a lot of discussion based on Sumerian script. The Sumerian is post-Hebrew. He didn't, he didn't, he never told everybody that, but the Sumerian is post-Hebrew. And when you talk about the Anunnaki, yeah, they were probably the fallen watchers, another name for the fallen watchers. You know, you have, you have Sumerian myth, you have Hindu myth, you have Greek myth, you have Egyptian myth. They all talk about gods coming to earth, having relations with humans and creating hybrids. And it's discussed in all five of those cultures that are all centered around the Levant. And, you know, so, and the question is, you know, the Book of Hanok, I think, or Enoch, is the best, most descriptive, most accurate rendition. It is the, it is the, 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 uh, the center stone upon which the other texts must comport. And, you know, and so the, the discussion that we have there in, in Hanok, talking about who these watchers were and what they did, becomes very important things. And it becomes equally important to recognize, and this is contrary to Zachariah Sitchin's, is that in Enoch, it tells you that the Anunnaki did not fall, even though there was a serpent here beguiling Eve in the garden, the Anunnaki did not fall as watchers until the seventh generation from Adam. So they do not constitute Elohim. They did not create man. That's not part of them. They're not the creators of heaven and the earth. They were a latter event that took place in the seventh generation of man, okay? 
And we'll, and we'll come back to this, not this week, but we'll come back to it next week. Okay. And Shell, what have you got, Shell? Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Hello, everybody. Hi, Dr. P. Good to see everybody. You too. Um, I had a, a question, a, kind of a two-part question. Um, the first one is you were after the show on the black horse, we were talking about the um, Jeremiah 50 and I was, I was reading that and it intrigued me that it says the word that you who has spoke against Babel and against the land of the Kazdim. And so I started looking at the Kazdim and kind of uh, digging into that to the best of my ability with it being the Chaldeans. And one thing that I noticed was when Abraham was wondering if he was ever going to have um, his own child, Yah reminded him, look, I took you out of the, um, the land of the Kazdim uh, from the Chaldeans. And I was looking and, and again, it seemed like they were the sorcerers, the astrologers, and, and dealing with that fallen angel knowledge from Enoch 8. And I was just wondering if that's, you know, you had some background on that for us. Yeah, that's, you know, you've asked a very good question. And I'll tell you, when you talk about the Kazdim, this is, you have a very uh, interesting illustration. And I'll tell you this, this I'm going to open up a rat's nest here. Let's open it. <clears throat> Abraham had a brother and his brother's name was Nahor. And Nahor had eight children by his wife, eight sons by his wife, and four sons by his concubine. One of those sons was the last son born was Makkah, who was the father of the Maccabeam, the Maccabeam. Now, this becomes something very interesting because when you look at the whole concept of Esau and Edom and the Kasdim, these Kasdim, so here you have Abraham, who is going to have you know, Ishmael, and then, of course, he has Yitzhak, and then he has other children after that that are not recorded in Scripture, or not, you know, uh, not of any significance. But Ishmael goes on to have 12 sons, and Yitzhak goes on to have two, and Yaakov then has 12 sons. But his brother, Nahor, had 12 sons at the same time that Abraham had one. But Abraham is promised to be the father of many nations. Well, what about Nahor? Well, Nahor's sons grew up to become the Kasdim. And so these sons were the ones that who were uh, became the Magi, and they became known as the Kasdim. Well, the Kasdim, <clears throat> they created, they were the ones behind Nineveh initially, and it was one of the rising royalty of Nineveh, it was Nebuchadnezzar, uh, a rising Assyrian royalty. He was the one who went and... Uh, Hold on just a second, guys. We've got somebody lurking up here in the loft at the Ricano. <laughs> anyway, he was the one that uh, that established Babylon. And Babylon is called the Excellency of the Castine. The Excellency of the Castine. So now these Castine would, would also come to dominate the Hittite Empire. And the Hittite Empire... At a capital called Hattusa, and Hattusa, the ram, the, the ruins of Hattusa were discovered in the mid 1800s outside of Ankara, Turkey, and it was Germans 
who were able to decipher, the Germans and the Irish who were able to decipher the language that was being spoken there, which was, by the way, consistent with Paleo-Hebrew, the Etruscan alphabet, and the Colbrin alphabet, all of which are consistent with one another. Now, these guys in Hattusa, would, the Hittite Empire would kind of suddenly disappear around 1500 BC, or about 1100 BC. It kind of, what happened to these guys? Well, they migrated, and they migrated from central Turkey, and they migrated into central Europe, namely the Czech, you know, Czechia, Slovakia, Poland, uh, uh, you know, uh, Slovenia, uh, the, uh, you know, the, basically the Slavic states, <clears throat> they moved in there. And of course, uh, Western Austria and Southern Germany, and even up into the mountains of Switzerland. And so they were called Castine or Chaldean, Chaldean. And for short, they were called Chaldees, Chaldees, Chaldean, Chaldees. And eventually they became, we went from Chaldees to Kelti and, uh, and are in fact the Celtic people. So the people that call themselves Celtic, which are the Irish and the Welsh and the Scottish, say we're Celtic. They're not. They're Gaelic, not Celtic. The language spoke in Scotland and spoken in Scotland and in Ireland is Gaelic, not Celtic. The language in Wales, of course, is Welsh, not Gaelic. You know, it's amazing. I went to Britain. I was expecting everybody to speak English. Man, was I wrong. <laughs> I mean, don't go out to Cardiff and tell them they're speaking English, you know. Uh, but... Um, but at any rate, so what you see is the, the Chaldeans become the Celtic people, right? Now, the Celtic people, you know, if we, and, and I can tell you somebody who knew this, who knew it firsthand, was Adolf Hitler. And so they, they referred to themselves not as Celtic, but as Aryan, right? Aryan. And so you can see these Chaldeans well into Persia, you know, occupying most of Persia, and, and a good percentage of the Levant, all the way through Turkey, all the way up into Central Europe, this huge body of people that are Chaldean, Chalde, Celtic people, right? And uh, so that's who you're talking about. Now, so uh, once again, when you talk about the United States, the United States is an interesting blend, right? Because when you read Revelation 18, you find out exactly who the United States is. It's the, it's the cage for every foul bird. And, and so here we are, you know, the, the Washington, D.C., which is built in the shape of an owl, the same owl that they used at the cremation of care ceremony, you know, at, at, at the Bohemian Grove. It's the shape of, of the, of the uh, Masonic symbol of the compass in the square. It's got, a, it's got a satanic pentagram at the right hand, which is based, it lays down on, uh, on, the, on the White House. You know, it's the seat of Satan. And in the middle of this, the intelligence community is all Kasdim. The intelligence community is all Kasdim. That's what I was saying earlier. The Gestapo, the SS from Nazi Germany came here and became the CIA. And if you think they work for the federal government or for Americans, you're crazy. They don't. They don't. They're an entirely independent agency that is engaged on an agenda that is in support of the controlling families behind the Vatican. That's what you have. So anyway, but when you look in, so this is why America is Babylon. This is why America is Egypt. This is why, you know, look when you, you know, anyway, we have a lot of, we got a lot of difficulties, but thank you for asking the question. Okay, let's go to John. John. 
Well, it kind of dovetails off of uh, what you just got done talking about. And don't forget, uh, in the center of the Pentagon, they got a gazebo there with the owl on top of it as well. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, about 10 years ago, while I was still in church entity, uh, I taught uh, America as Babylon. It didn't didn't go over real well in my Sunday school class, let's just say, but, you know, because we're the set apart group of people. Um, Thursday night, I did ask the question, and you kind of got sidetracked at the end, if America is Babylon, um, come out of her, my people. And uh, so I've, I've often thought that, and I understand that we have two different aspects of that. We have spiritual, but also physical. But also so physical. part of me yeah. wonders, is this the physical aspect and I understand the divine protection and, and I, I, you know, the second exodus, I, I get a lot of that. But since that's stated in Revelation 18, do we, you know, should we follow that advice and come out of for my people? Yeah. You know, and the answer is, John, I think the answer is yes. I mean, I can tell you there are, you know, when we talk about physical Babylon, I think there are places that are more Babylon than others, you know. I think there are cities of refuge in the United States. There are places of refuge in, in the continental United States and maybe in Canada. You know, Canada is under an absolutely unholy fascism right now. Much, it's worse there than it is in the US. Really, really bad. There are places like, for instance, there are some people who believe that there's sanctified ground in Missouri and Oklahoma. A lot of people are clustering there now. A lot of a remnant are, are starting to move in that direction. Um, but I do think, I mean, if you're in New York City, you need to come out of her physically. You know, if you're in uh, Silicon Valley in the San Francisco area, you need to come out of her physically. If you're in the Seattle, Washington area, you need to come out of her physically. You need to get out because judgment is coming to those places. And, you know, uh, that is just really what's going to happen even though they think that they're, you know, uh, I will sit as no widow and I'm going to be a queen and unheard. That's not what's going to happen at all. And so, yeah, there is an element. There is a physical element to that. But again, you know, when you talk about the spiritual element, you know, some people are going, you know, like I didn't leave Seattle for a long time because I had other friends, very close friends that left. Thank God they left. Thank God they left. You know, like, for instance, in our Bible study in 2008, one of the couples that left was Penny and David, who are our partners in Sefer. And you know, thank Yah placed them at, a, at an undisclosed lo location in Montana that because they went, because they were faithful to do that and they suffered doing it, but because they were faithful to do that, he has provided for us for the opportunity to continue to print and to distribute uh, the Sefer, mm -hmm. notwithstanding all the lockdown, quarantine, contact tracing, all of this other stuff, because of where he placed uh, our company. You know, so we were blessed in that in that respect. Are, should they come out of there? No, they're in a spot that is where Yah has protected them. But if you're in a in a hyper invert or urban environment, and you know, you know, if is your is the place where you're living Babylon? I mean, do you have all of the trappings of uh, you know the uh, the alphabet uh, dialect? Do you have uh, you know uh, the mandatory political correctness at the local Starbucks? You have, you know, I mean, you you know, if you're living in Babylon, and if you are, you need to get out, and that means physically get out, and you need to physically get out, you know, in the near future, because I can tell you that I do believe that 
war is inevitable now, and it's not going to be, they want a thermonuclear war because they want to reduce the population by billions of people. That's what they want. They think they're going to survive it. They're not. They're going to die from a curious form of leprosy, these people who are engineering this stuff. And, and it will be torment for five months, right, before they get there. But um, when, you, when you talk about what's coming to the U.S., it's thermonuclear war, and it's coming to the U.K., and it's, you know, it's going to be coming to most of Western Europe, and it's most certainly coming to Israel. That's most certain. And uh, so, you know, if you're going to leave the U.S., don't go to Israel. You know, that's the one place you don't want to be. Now, there may be some places, there are some, you know, there are some qualified safe havens, but even the safe havens, like you said, well, I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I had friends trying to talk me into going to the Caribbean. Now, look at the Caribbean, right? With uh, St. Vincent's being destroyed by a volcano and you have this, now you have these mandatory vaccines that are running in, right? All of this stuff is coming in. So when you talk about that, that isn't a place to be either. Well, some people say, well, look, what about Crete? What about uh, Cyprus? What about Greece? What a well, Greece is about to go to war too with Turkey. I mean, all of that stuff is on is in the in the headwater, and so there really is. Uh, there's almost no safe place on Earth to be because what does it say in Second Baruch? Tribulation comes to the whole Earth. Tribulation comes to the whole Earth. So there are some situses that are going to be very dangerous. Uh, and should you come out of her? Yeah, probably a good idea. Uh, and then. Uh, but other places, it doesn't necessarily mean the whole country because we divide ourselves into countries. Yah does not see it that way at all. He doesn't see any, he's not looking at some political map published by Rand McNally and associates, right? He looks at the earth as he created it and he knows where the tribes are and he knows where his people are. And it's a different situation, okay? But we've had other people who've said, you know, people have come to them and said, sell your house and head for the Philippines. Well, the Philippines is going to be overrun by the Chinese army, okay? So you don't want to be there. So when you're talking about people telling you to sell your house and run, you don't listen to that. You have to pay attention to what Yah is telling you. So you need to spend the time in prayer and listen very carefully because Yah will tell you exactly where he wants you to be. And for some people, you're not going to leave the situs of danger. You're there to serve. You're there to be a light to your neighbors, light to your friends, and a word unto them, even unto death, right? Because you cannot love your life unto death. We have to understand we're all going to die, and we have to love Yahweh and Yahusha through the whole thing. And that's what we have to do. And some of us are called to serve in dangerous places. And Yah will preserve you. You know, there were people that walked out unharmed of the epicenter of the nuclear blast in Nagasaki. Yah will preserve his people as he sees fit. Okay. But great question, John. Thanks for bringing it up. It's always good to talk with you. Okay. Last question. Warrior for him. Warrior for him. Are you here? Can you come in? There you are. Hey. Hi, Dr. P. How are you doing? Hey, very good. I have a question for you. Have you ever read the, the book? It's called The Five Chimneys. It's by Olga Legiel. Five what? Five what? Chimneys. Five chimneys. Uh, You know, I may may have read that book. What about it? It's about Auschwitz. Yeah, Auschwitz. Yeah. What I found amazing is it was that uh, the 
the bear company, the pharmaceutical bear, that's where they started all their experiments was there in Auschwitz. Yeah, E.B. Farben. She talks about this in, that, in her book, and it's just so interesting. If any of y'all get the chance, get the book. I mean, it's interesting. It's called Five Chimneys. It's by Olga Lingiel. She was a woman that survived Auschwitz. She also said that when she was there, she said that um, there wasn't as many uh, Jews there as they say that there was there. There was Dutch there. There were, there were people from Russia. They, they hated the Russians. They would do all kinds of experiments on the Russians. And that's when they started doing experiments on changing people from, from a woman being a man to a man being a woman. There was oh, a is that right? That happened in Auschwitz? Yes, that, that happened in Auschwitz. There was a lady there who said that she was betrothed to a man and it was, this is just a sad story. She was betrothed to a man and they were supposed to get married and they, they stuck her in Auschwitz and he came to visit her. He wanted to visit her because he thought that she was gonna be getting out at some time soon. And what they had done was they had already changed her to a man. So she told him that she didn't wanna see him and told them to tell him that, that she was dead. She had died. Yeah, yeah, well, she I mean, was that right? embarrassed. Yeah, that was, it, it, yeah, it's true. And, you know, the thing is, is that, um, you know, when you talk about that stuff, you know, even though they say there weren't that many Jews in those camps, I can tell you in Belarus and Poland and Ukraine, those people there, many of whom had Germanic background, they did not like what happened in that region as a result of the Jewish leadership that disguised themselves as communists in Russia. And so they perceived the famine that was uh, executed in Ukraine, where 10 million Ukrainians died, as really a Jewish plot. And so the, it spiked the anti-Semitism that was already present there. And so there was a mass slaughter of Jews in Poland and Belarus and Ukraine. And you know, people who say, well, there weren't that many Jews killed. Well, I'll tell you, there was a mass slaughter of whoever was Jewish in those three countries in a huge way. I don't know what the exact number was, but I can tell you, they slaughtered every Jew they could find. And as soon as the Ukrainian government, else. what's that? As soon as the Ukrainian, as soon as the Ukrainian government took over uh, in this recent revolution, the very first thing they did was to require Jews to register, and that flyer went around very quickly. And uh, so, you know, the, the anti-Semitism is grossly present in that in those same three countries right now, and. Well, actually, not so much in Belarus, but in Poland and in Ukraine, very much so. You have really acute anti-Semitism there still being practiced. So, but when you talk about Auschwitz and the kinds of experience they meant, the experiments they meant, yeah. I mean, look, who were some of the companies that were intimately involved with the Third Reich? IBM, big time Third Reich, Ford Company, Ford Motor Company. Yeah. EB, <clears throat> EB Farben, Exxon. <clears throat> and of course, Union Bank. I mean, those were, you know, those were entities that were deeply involved with uh, keeping uh, the Third Reich afloat. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can't forget. And, they, and then these guys come here, you know, Bear, I think, is actually located in Canada. But they bring in pharmaceuticals into the United States under doctrines of immunity. Oh, we're immune. Our vaccines may harm you, may make, may cripple you, may make you dependent upon our our, our uh, pharmacia, our pharmaceuticals, thereafter for the rest of your life. But we're immune from lawsuit because as drug dealers, they paid off the U.S. Congress who took the bribe and then granted them immunity. So such is the world we live in. We live in a very fallen, 
fallen, fallen world. And in order for us to do something to pull ourselves out of it, we have to start by proclaiming the sacredness of life. So I'm going to leave this with you guys, my closing statement. When we talk about the covenant, which is the Ten Commandments, me, I'm under those Ten Commandments, and I'm willing to say that. I'm not going to say I'm not under the law. I may not be under the law of the rabbis, but I most am certainly am holding to the covenant and under the covenant of Yahweh, because by his covenant, my human rights spring. He says, thou shalt not kill, therefore I have a right to life. He says, thou shalt not steal, therefore I have a right to property. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery or break wedlock, therefore I have a right to my marriage. He says, thou shalt not bear false witness, therefore I have a right to a reputation that is not stained by false witness. He says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's stuff, therefore I have a right to that stuff. He says, thou shalt not engage in idolatry, therefore I have a right to be free from idolizing your stuff. Don't tell me to idolize your statue of Nebuchadnezzar, your school system, your healthcare system, your monetary system, and all the other trash that you think is important. I have a right to be free from that. And I have a right to the Shabbat. I have a right to one day off in seven because I'm under that law. And from that law springs the right to recognize those Sabbaths, right? And then I'm going to say this, which you know damages the alphabet community in a huge way. Every child has a right to a mother and a father. That's just the facts of the matter. That's just the way it is, right? So with that, guys, I'm going to say blessings to you. Let's say a prayer. I'm so thankful for all of your comments today. They were wonderful comments, uh, the great questions. Uh, Doug, I want to thank you for participating today and answering some of these questions that were, that were on the table. I'm sorry I don't have more answers concerning Nibiru. That would be nice to be able to give you more on that, but we weren't planning on talking about that today. Let's take heart in what is written in Psalm 91 recognize that we are under his wings, we are under his feathers, that is who is, and we call upon the, the maker of heaven and earth, whose throne is now immediately right offshore, right? His throne is right offshore. He is coming soon, and he comes with righteous judgment. Sedekah, sedekah. And so with that, we know that we're going to be, we're going to see something that is going to be really quite good. So with that, let me say this, Baruch Atah Adonai Elohim Melech Olam, Baruch HaMatzah Lechem Min Haretz, Baruch Pari, Baruch, Baruch Bahashem Yahusha HaMashiach. And let's say this, Yavarecheka, Yehua, Veyishbarecha, Yair Yehua, Panavarecha, Veykunika, Yisa Yehua, Panavarecha, Veyusem Lecha, Shalom, Bahashem Yahusha, Amen, we'll see you next week. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. We'll see you later. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Love you, family. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Love you. Bye-bye. Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Dr.